Dear viewer, this is not the feature film Memories. This is a podcast discussing the film and its English dub. If you want to watch the film, you can do so by buying the Blu-ray courtesy of Discotech. Please support the official release. Thank you. Warning! The Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that is not suitable for all audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. There will be spoilers for the film Memories, so please keep that in mind if you do not wish to be spoiled. Finally, the views and opinions expressed are those of the individuals and do not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Greetings, one and all, and welcome to the season five finale of Dub Talk's Summer at the Movies. Yay! <laughs> we did it. We did it, fam. I'm Stephanie, your captain, and I'm here with Megan and Amon. Hi. God, there's a lot of crap out there. <laughs> don't, these, don't these animals ever clean up after themselves? Look at that. You're 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 asking a Look lot. Look at that! That entire space shell just got obliterated because a screw flew into it at eighty miles an hour. Jesus Christ! You 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 you're asking for a lot. You know why did you take this job if you're gonna just freaking complain the whole time? Uh, capitalism, I build. <laughs> Fair. Um, hey guys, there's yes, like Megan. a little tiny naked man child statue chasing me, and it started shooting lasers. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> That's bad. That's some Doctor Who shit. <laughs> oh god, you're fucking right. <laughs> did you watch the bloopers or no? Okay, never mind. We're gonna... I okay. did it. I didn't, but I'm not gonna lie. Do you know what was going through my head the entire time I fucking saw them? What? what? Oh my god, this is that fucking Titanic episode with David Tennant. <laughs> <sighs> anyway... Anyway, now considering we've had some pretty big films as finales in past seasons of Summer at the Movies, well, today we have a hefty one for you, as Dub Talk brings you our review of the brand new English dub for the 1995 anthology film Memories, which was recently rescued by Discotech and has dubs produced from both NYAV Post and Sound Cadence Studios. Holy Ooh. shit. <laughs> Talk about surprise ah. dubs, everyone. Talk about surprise every surprises, everyone. Mm -hmm. And to start this trip into space, the three of us are here to cover probably one of the most well- probably the most well-known of the trio of shorts, Magnetic Rose, which was directed by Koji Morimoto, has a script by the late Satoshi Kone, and music by the legendary Yoko Kano. So you know you're in for a hell of a time. <laughs> As for a real quick summary on this short specifically, uh, based on a manga short by Katsuhiro Otomo, two space travelers following a distress signal are drawn into a magnificent world created by one woman's memories. That is as basic of a summary as I can get. <laughs> and from ANN, beca because this short is like, what, 45 minutes? And oh my god. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a, there's a lot. Like, believe it or not, I was watching some of the special features on the on the disc. And they took the concept that Otomo had, um, Kone and Moyamoto, and they basically fleshed everything out. It was like, oh my god. What if what but, if one lady could not let go, but in space? 
<laughs> but in space. <laughs> her, oh just my change God, her name to Elsa. Expectations. Fucking Shit. Mrs. Havisham on a big spaceship. Yes! Oh, good lord almighty, you're fucking right, and I hate it. <laughs> so weirdly I enough. hate it. Did, okay, were you all also forced to read that in ninth grade, too, or is that just Florida? Uh, I, I, I it, did not read I think, it. I think we read it in tenth grade. I did not read it in my school. Wow, look at Steph getting out of it. <laughs> I like that book. Uh, <laughs> I hated that book, I'm sorry. <laughs> it is very long. Listen, I had I just like, like the, the part, Scarlet Letter, all right? I like the part where Mrs. Havisham catches herself on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I took a drink like, of my coffee. Okay, there's like a movie version of it, and that scene is actually fucking hilarious in the movie. Okay. All right. Uh, believe it or not, for the three of us at least, this is our first time ever really watching the film Memories. <laughs> So I've it's seen very weird. I saw memories. Okay, I I had at least seen clips of it because I of too, a, because of an, a Disney AMV compilation where memories was set to uh, I think the music where Belle finds the rose and like the first time. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, I I also saw this for the first time this week, despite owning the DVD since I was like in college. You uh, know, um, same thing basically with me. Uh, I then got very mad at myself because. Let's see, this is your brand of shit, one hundred percent, dude. I'm not. I'm not actually mad, but a part of me is irritated that I can't be on all three parts of this episode to talk about. The <laughs> I whole know, because these these are all extremely for me. Oh my god, like it's crazy how this is how this came about and it's just a surprise out of nowhere especially with magnetic rose because this is the last thing related to satoshi Kone that got rescued and dubbed essentially mm -hmm. this was the missing piece Bar like everything else was picked up and either new dub or re-released but this was one thing <laughs> this was the last one. At this, yeah. unless, unless Dream Machine ever gets finished, which sadly seems vanishingly unlikely the yeah, more time it goes on. Yeah, it seems very unlikely. Yeah. Or you could do a dub for the live-action film World Apartment Horror that Cone worked on as well. That could be an option. That'd be fun. That'd be kind of fun. That'd be but fun. anyway, I hope y'all are ready for a hell of a trip, because I know I sure am. So, thankfully the cast is relatively small, so this should be a breeze to get through. Alright, so let's get started with our ADR staff. So we have our ADR director, our assistant ADR director, and two script, script writers on this project. Um, as, as I previously stated, Memories in general was, du was dubbed between two studios. The short Magnetic Rose was done on the NYAV Post side. So that means... We have our ADR director, who is Michael Sinternicholas, who has also directed series and films such as Fulukuli Progressive and Alternative, Mirai, which was also covered this season, and Premier, which was covered last year. Uh, our assistant ADR director was Stephanie Shea, who has assisted on other series and films such as Great Pretender, Oko's Inn, and Time of Eve. And our script writers... So, Stephanie Shea is pulling double duty. She is one of the writers. Uh, she has written for shows and films such as Aquarian Age, the movie, Duel Masters, and Lou Over the Wall. And our main scriptwriter for this, uh, for this short in particular, is Justin Stavakis, who primarily, he works for Discotech, uh, primarily known more for in-house work, such as Blu-ray authoring and encoding, um, 
And Memories in general is actually his first like major writing gig that he's had as a main writer. Um, so that's very interesting. So at this stage, I feel like Ron Robin styling it will be fun. So what do we think of the directing and writing on M- Magnetic Rose? This is beautiful. It is. It's this is uh, I, I think I appreciate it, which um, you can there's some like uh, bonus featurettes on the Blu-ray if you get it. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin yes. briefly talks about how, uh, especially for Magnetic Rose, he wanted to tap into kind of like a certain brand of like 90s sci-fi horror. He pointed to like Event Horizon as kind of like something he was going for, mm-hmm. um, which I that's not which is actually the first thing that first came to mind when I first watching it. It's like, oh, this is Alien. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh, this sounds. Yeah. Oh, this sounds like Alien too. Wow! Yeah. This this. I mean, cons- <laughs> considering the Japanese directed a direct fucking call out to yeah. Alien. Oh, oh! I have a fun fact related to that. Would you like to hear a fun fact? Yes. Yes. Hey, so, we love fun in the movie. Here. Uh, our 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 female lead Ava. She had a long term boyfriend who she almost married, named uh, Carlo Rambaldi. Uh, Carlo Rambaldi is also the name of a real person. He is an Italian mm-hmm. special effects guy. He uh, worked on Alien. He's the guy who designed the, uh, you know, where the xenomorph like opens his mouth and a little thing pops out. Like, that's him. Yeah. He also worked on E.T., which I find very funny. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Oh, yeah, it's very uh, yes, my favorite, my favorite horror movie, E.T. Um. <laughs> uh, and my, my, fun, my fun grizzly fact is, earlier in his career, he worked on a Lucio Fulci movie called, uh, let me see, I had the title here. Called uh, a lizard and woman's skin, and probably there there is a there's, wow, there's a scene okay. where you see the aftermath of some violence uh, against some dogs, which he did the effects for, and probably these were so realistic that like uh, Lucio Fulci got prosecuted for animal cruelty, and <gasps> Rambaldi no had to way! he had to show up in court with his like props to show like no we did not injure actual dogs this was fake. Oh my god! And, Lu- and, ha- and Lucci was like in real danger of being sent to jail for this. <laughs> So, you know, oh my guys, God. guys, good you know job. that's a mass master craftsman at work, right there. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Holy shit, <laughs> that's funny. I mean, that's not great, it, but it's, it's still it's, funny. It's funny because he didn't go to jail, and no dogs were actually hurt. Oh, I mean, good. Yeah, good. <laughs> I mean, I guess going to court over like your special effects is a good thing if they're that realistic. So he did his fucking job. Yeah, pretty much, and, that, and that's why he gets a character <laughs> named after him in here. Oh my god! Um, ba- back to the dub, though. This, yeah, this sounds really, really good. Um, there's mm-hmm. a obviously Cohen didn't direct this, but you can feel a lot of his like fingerprints on it, uh, even oh, just yeah. as like screenwriter. And you know, something I like a lot about Cohen's work is how even if they are very fantastical, they feel very grounded. And I feel like this dub captures that very well. A lot of this sounds like a lot of this sounds like something where like if I was not looking at the screen, this was just playing somewhere. I might assume this is like a live action movie that I'm watching, not something that's been like constructed as a dub. Yeah. Um. I know um, in the special features for the making of Memories, um, Justin mentions that he tried to stick closer to the original source material as humanly possible. Because, okay, the translation is very weird. So the translation for this and the original subtitles were a rush job they found out that was that because they had to do it for like a film festival and those subtitles kept getting reused and reused over and over again and nobody checked them over. <laughs> so when they 
looked at the translation and all that stuff, like, for realsies and actually sat through it. Um, at that point, Justin was, wanted to try and keep the script as close as humanly possible because, as he puts it, as both a fan and someone working in the industry, like, people, like, like, script, like script writers and directors like to put their own stamp on things. He he was like, if it, he, he didn't want to do that to this film because it stands on its own. And besides, he's like, I got, I think I got that out of my system, like, 20 years ago. <laughs> So that's a good thing, which is great. Um, I will say I appreciate some fun little lines because there are some a couple small things that you could put in a modern modern context. Um, but I think it's really fun. Um, there's this one scene in particular because the writing's straightforward. There's this one scene where Heinz and Miguel first get on the ship, and. The, Miguel sees this holographic image of Ava and he tries to go rush out to her, but then idiot doesn't know it's, holo it's a hologram. And freaking Heinz makes a comment at him. And essentially Miguel's response is like, well, sh I guess she ghosted me. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, because something like that, it works. It Are you talking about the, and older you're context. talking about the ghosting line? Yes. Yeah, no, I really liked that line. I was that actually worked very nicely. <laughs> it works so nicely. I love it. So, the writing I think is really solid. What 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 did you think, Megan, of the writing? Uh, yeah, I was actually surprised that um how solid the writing was on this. And I guess mm -hmm. Stephanie stepped in when she needed to, but uh, having a less experienced ADR uh, scriptwriter for this and Justin was a bit of a risk in my opinion but he did a really right. great job um I don't know how much I like the comment that people like to stick their their touches on their writing in ADR writing I don't necessarily 100% agree with that um but I think to me also the thing that should be talked about is how good the directing and the casting is on this movie absolutely um, I think that they took a big risk with some of the actors they pulled in I think that the work on the movie was the dub was fantastic um, I'd like to credit NYAV Post with I don't know if the person who plays the daughter is an actual child I'm going to assume she yes she is Good, I like that. Good job, NYAV Post, because it was really helped sell a lot of those moments with yeah. Emily, in my opinion. Funny um, story, fun fact about Emily, apparently, is um, they, uh, Justin did a little interview segment for not only the, um, the dub premiere on Twitch, but it ended up on the uh, Blu-ray set. Uh, with Michael Cinder Nicholas, and Michael made the comment of, of like, of like, yeah, we found someone, we found a, a a girl who basically matched the laugh of the Japanese Emily. I'm not even kidding. And when they had a side by side of the Japanese laugh of Emily versus the English, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> it was that so is, scary similar. That is pretty cool. That is um, amazing. Mm. But, you know, I, I genuinely enjoyed the directing and writing of this. Um, that's all I really have, unfortunately. Yeah. It's a it's a very good dub. It's not a necessarily a very flashy dub. No, it's yeah. it's which is appropriate for what it's for what the the short is. So you know, right? I, th I think I don't think that's a mark against it. 
No, yeah, like, the directing on this is really solid because this is kind of a more subtle, understated, kind of short. Weirdly enough, compared to the other two. <laughs> so, mm. um, considering how over-the-top Stink Bomb is and how aesthetically and artistically speaking, how much more artistry is in cannon fodder, it's like, this one's kind of more subtle. <laughs> which actually is amazing considering how much it stands out. But, um, no, I really love the directing, and the writing was really solid to me. Um, do we feel like we can move on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, this, does, this short doesn't have a lot of characters. Um, so, our first set of characters, we're gonna talk about a couple of people from the ship Corona, as well as our lead's daughter. So we have Ivanov, Aoshima, and Emily. So Ivanov is the captain of the Corona. Uh, Aoshima is one of the crew members of the Corona, and Emily. He's the is computer Heinz. guy. He's the computer guy, and Emily is uh, Heinz's daughter, who we find out is actually dead. <laughs> um, and weird fun fact: so the four crewmen of the <laughs> Corona are all named after different kinds of beers. Are they really? Yes, they are. Wait. <sighs> it's in the liner notes. I'm not kidding. I looked at it. We, we looked, okay, you have to tell night. me which beer they are. So Heinz is the American one. Miguel Duh. is, I believe, Philippines. Ivanov is Belgium. And Aoshima. So Aoshima and Miguel, their names are a slight different translation or different writing for the actual beer names. Um, but Aoshima would be Japan. And of course you have Corona. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. As the ship. So I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I read that in the liner notes last night. I'm like, oh my god. But anyway. Heinz? So, what beer is Heinz? If they're doing Heineken, that's Dutch. Well, Japan thinks otherwise. But anyway. So, in terms of who voices these characters, Ivanov is voiced by Frank Todaro, who has voiced characters such as Rodrigo in Dragon Quest Your Story, Rikaku in Night is Short Walk on Girl, and I will butcher this name, but fuck it. Chudokin in Sword Art Online Alicization. The fucking creepy-ass clown dude. Chudokin's first time! Thank you. Uh, I have to say the thing! If you kill them, I'll let you do anything you want. But no motorboating, you little bitch! (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Aoshima... Is voiced by Derek Stephen Prince, who has voiced characters such as Dr. Rudy Gillen in Monster, Koji in Time of Eve, and I didn't finish this. Arashi Nagise. Who the fuck is that? In what? I didn't write the show. I wrote the character, but I didn't write the show like a dumbass. I, uh, uh, he's also Ken Digimon. <laughs> he's 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 a lot of things. <laughs> he's a lot of things. Uh, and then Emily is voiced by a. You mean Paradise Kiss? Yes, thank you. That's what I meant. You're welcome. That's what I meant. Thank you. Emily is voiced by, and I apologize if I butcher your last name. Uh, She's voiced by Alexa N. Caracia. Very, very, very new. Uh, Mostly primarily known for theater roles, um, such as Little Mermaid and Mary Poppins Jr., a couple different productions she has done. Um, This was her very first voiceover role. Uh, Well, no, this was her first animation role. She had done a 
according to the special feature, she's done a little bit of voiceover work, but this is her first, like, animation role. Uh, so, performance-wise, how do we feel about these characters? Uh, I'll start off. Uh, Ivanov is going to either be something people really like or really hate, because he Mm -hmm. has a thick Russian accent. Oh, yeah. Uh, I liked it. I thought he was great. I thought it was wonderful. I yeah. loved it. it. It kind of added to the diversity of the crew. Yeah. Considering, like, you have Heinz, who, who's more of, like, the American or maybe potentially German crew member. You have Miguel, who they decided to make from South America. Aoshima, obviously, is Japanese. I thought you said he was Filipino. No, no, no. The, the brand of the name of the beer. Oh, he is. That he's okay, he's South of. American. He, the character himself is South American. Ah, gotcha. And horny. Um. <laughs> and that, There's my friends, is his downfall. <laughs> oh, that's his fucking downfall. Anyway. And that, my friends, is going to be for the next section. Uh, but no, I genuinely really enjoyed it. I, I'm not super used to Frank Tirado's work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I genuinely enjoyed him. I kind of wish this character had more to do other than to sit there and be like, what the fuck's happening, guys? Yeah, Gang, the majority, get the fuck the ma- out! The majority of Frank and Derek's performances yeah, is, are, like, is, on is radio what the, ha- what the hap is fucking in, guys. Yeah, basically. That's what uh, I will also appreciate Derek Stephen Prince's character, uh, mm-hmm. because I'm very used to Derek Stephen Prince having a very, very certain kind of younger voice and being... Mm-hmm. Listen, I cannot unhear Ken from Digimon? I mean, nobody can. I cannot unhear Ken and or Impmon, uh, depending yeah. on your flavor of Digimon. Mm-hmm. Depending on the day. Uh, yeah, like, I actually genuinely want to start rewatching Digimon Adventure. Not the new one. The new one sucks. The the original with the the, the dub, so I can cry over how, how parts of it. Anyway. Uh, but no, Derek did a really great job here as this kind of tech guy who's mm-hmm. also like, guys... And I like the kind of humor humorous Tony has in the beginning of the video, the movie, the video, the beginning of the movie with uh, Miguel being Miguel and and yeah. Heinz being like, I'm the straight man," and then <laughs> I'm the straight, straight man, man to Miguel's bullshit. Shit. <laughs> and then, oh Emily, oh oh, my oh, god. oh god, that was, I was like, oh god, they got a real child for an actual factual child for this, like. Mm-hmm. I think Alexa does a great job being adorable and then just heartbreaking because it is so genuine. Mm. Yeah. And just the scene where she's like, Daddy, I'm on the roof! And then you're like, oh no! Child, no, go back inside! No, you fucked up! You fucked up! And then it makes sense, it makes sense why earlier in the movie he was freaked out by, like, images of little girls falling off. Yeah, the the winding doll, doll that fell off of the stand, and then the image of like Emily coming from the ceiling into the floor. Oh yeah, mm. like a rag doll. Oh, yeah. Should have yeah. should have should have fixed the uh, should have fixed the little uh, wind post thing sooner, shouldn't you? <laughs> special <sighs> special side note because we're not discussing her, but because um, she only has like two fucking lines. Uh, the mom Anna is played by Martha Harms, who we have not heard in five fucking years. <laughs> Hi, Martha, we miss you. Hi, Martha, we uh, miss you. Hi, Martha. Oh, uh, God, I just love, I, like, also be her little papas. 
Yeah, Papa. Like, when, Papa. Like Papa. when she's hanging on to fucking Ava, like uh, you're just like, no, ma'am, no, sir, <laughs> no, sir, no, sir. I don't want. I don't do like, not want. It's that. It's that gif of that horse going. No, I don't think I like that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Just like I'm gonna that. nope the fuck out. <laughs> no, just, it's no, it's I, great. I really like a lot of the supporting work in there. I just wish I had more to say because. A lot of the meat of this movie is held with the main three characters' performances. Mm. No, but these for are sure. really great secondary performances. Like, oh yeah, one hundred. You can't have a really great dub without fantastic secondary performances. So mm. yeah, especially with a like a forty-five minute short like this. Yes, like like it. The they, performances have to be like leak-proof. <laughs> pretty much. Mm. No, I also really like all of these performances very very much like <laughs> frank Tadaro's just like grumpy old man <laughs> grumpy old russian man i love it so much fun and then you have <laughs> derek Stephen prince who is the tech guy essentially and just going along with all of the bullshit that's happened but no i think alexa broke my heart a little bit it was cute it was cute and also very sad <laughs> Because, because you find out Emily's like died bef- like long before Mega Gross takes place, and Heinz is just going through some like PTSD trauma shit throughout the course of the movie because of it. It's like, oh no, poor BB. All she wanted to do was go into space with Dad. All, all I want to do is see my dad go into space with me. <laughs> and then I died. <laughs> and then I died. Armand, <laughs> what did you think? Uh, these are great. Um, Frank Frank's really good, and also like, I mean, he's funny, but he's funny because he gets funny lines, not because the accent's funny. If that makes no, sense. No, yeah, he he gets some fun uh, jokes and one liners. Yeah. No, he did he did he did a good job of like, as far as I know, that that's he's he's not Russian. That's not his real accent, but he did a good job of making it sound, uh, at least you know, to my ears, authentic enough without sounding cartoony. Uh, Derek Stephen Prince was good because he's basically always good. I can't think of a lot of like bad performances I've heard from him right. over the years. He's always he, he, he's a he's a good strong character actor. He you know he fits into this like a glove. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And Alexa's really cute and really heartbreaking because yeah. for reasons we stated. I do want to give her and Martha credit though for having maybe my favorite of the dub outtakes were separately they yes! both comment on the like lousy like umpa German like polka song that they're listening to is Heinz supposed to be American or German it occurs to me now I don't know no. I, would, I think he's German even though his name is based off an American fucking beer yeah. Heineken ain't Heineken is not American well, it's well, that's Dutch why, that's why I'm wondering is like is this actually some German beer that we've never heard of okay. because we don't live in Germany no I've been to the American. actual factual yeah. Heineken factory in Amsterdam we don't, well, know, if, we don't know if they're talking Heinz. about Heineken either Heinz? I don't know. I'm googling Heinz. I mean, fairness, this, this movie's from the 90s. There could be a branded fear that's long since become defunct. That Anyways. is also true. It could uh, have been defunct They, like, they like, individually, while recording their lines, comment on this lousy song they're listening to. It's like, Daddy, can you please turn your terrible Son music off? Son of a bitch, off? it is actually real. <laughs> oh, there is a Heinz beer. Okay. Yeah, it's apparently, it, 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 it might be real. I don't know. I'm I'm looking it up. And that's the day we learned that Heinz used to sell beer. There was Heinz a guy named Heinz Beer who died. 
Heinz Brewing Company. His name was in the oh United my, States. Oh my god. There was a guy who was named Heinz C. Beer. <laughs> That's amazing! I love it! The things you learn in yeah. kids. The but I'm still thinking that his name is Heineken, and that is fucking Dutch. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. The liner notes said American, so who the fuck knows? Honestly. Um... But no, that was that was a very fun outtake. Yeah, turn off your music, Dad. It's giving me a migraine. Incidentally, kudos kudos to everybody, and I'm assuming probably NYAV Post in particular because there's the only segment that has outtakes. Kudos for getting outtakes on this thing. I miss outtakes. I'm Mm -hmm. vaguely under the impression that part reason they don't show up anymore is a lot of times the Japanese side tends to put the gibosh on them. So I appreciate that they're here at all. No, it's very amusing that you talked about the outtakes. Like, and you think Japan usually, like, harps on them. Weirdly enough, Justin in the features also said that because this is an older title, Japan didn't really have, like, breathe down their necks as much about this kind of shit. Like, including the casting and the dub itself. I'm like, oh my god. So maybe it extends out to, like, some of the features. Um, but, <laughs> Jesus. Dad, can you turn off the radio? Your music's giving me a migraine. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't expect that from Alexa in the outtakes. It was great. Uh, I loved it. Oh, any I, other quick thoughts about this trio? I, I'm only sad that apparently while Mark was uh, sorry, Heinz's actor was recording his lines, he did not also go, "Wow, this music is awful. Do I enjoy this?" Or something <laughs> along those lines. It would have been, yeah. it would have been fun if they had a trifecta there. Yeah. Also, like. I gotta give Alexa kudos as well. So, <laughs> M- Memories was, re- majority of it was recorded from home because, you know, the COVID, m- the giant malware happened. But the only person who had to record in studio was actually Alexa because she didn't have an at-home studio set up. She's confirmed to be the only one in the Magnetic Rose cast to have to record in studio. So, kudos to you for braven the the dangers out there also to the adr staff who pro who likely had to go in too yes um mm. so yeah kudos to them any other thoughts on these three before we move on to the meat and potatoes they're good okay all right yeah this short is so simple there's not many characters to talk about let's talk about our main three <laughs> Uh, we have Heinz, Miguel, and Ava. So Heinz and Miguel are also crewmates on the ship Corona. They are the two, they are the landing party, basically, who explore the ship itself and uh, go through a bunch of hallucinations and weird ass shit. Heinz is a very straightforward, straight man kind of guy. Miguel is a fucking playboy and a horn dog. <laughs> like, there's no other way to describe it, let's face it. Um, and then you have Ava. So Ava is the lady of the ship, for lack of better phrasing. Um, but she's, the ship's computer is causing a lot of wonky ass shit. And essentially she's kind of like either a figment of their imagination or a hologram with a robot base. So (laughs) it's, it's, it's very complicated. Um, 
in terms of playing these characters, I'm actually going to start with Ava. So Ava is voiced by Laura Post, who has voiced other characters such as Tamayo in Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, Cynthia Moore in The Great Pretender, and Miki Okudera in Your Name. Miguel, our wonderful horndog playboy, is voiced by Robbie Damon, who has voiced characters such as Megumi Fushigoro in Jujutsu Kaisen, uh, Mikio Shirato in Megalobox, and Ren, Suru- Ren Suruga in Skip Beat. As for Heinz, we have Mark Swint. Now, Mark Swint hasn't done a ton a ton, but he does have a few big credits. He's voiced characters such as Sosuke Yamada in number 24, Kiyoe in Pokemon Sun and Moon and Pokemon Journeys, and Mason in the film Mass Effect Paragon Lost. So, I was going to say, Ki- Kiwame? Kiyoe. 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 I know Kiyoe. who he is. I, so. I don't. I'm just going to Yeah, because you haven't played Sun and Moon. Um. I know nothing. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So, holy shit. So these three have the mean potatoes. Yes. Of the short. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yes. I'll start There's with- a lot. I'll start with Ava, who is implied to have murdered her husband. Yeah. So because Ava's story is very weird. She Whereas, like, she was in love with this guy, wanted to do everything for her beloved Carlo, even pantomimed when she lost her voice, but suddenly the day before her wedding, He's he dead. died. And then it's like, you killed your fucking husband, which I'm going to guess because Ava had issues. No. I mean, no. I mean, yeah, yeah, okay. Understatement no of the century there, Megan. Under- <laughs> yeah, you uh, find, you find out a bit later on that she just wanted to she just wanted to keep Carlo forever. She wanted to keep him in his prime forever. That's what it was. Yes, because all all good things must fade away. And let's be real, she probably wanted to keep Carlo at his peak, like some freakazoid in a jar. Yeah. Except for they didn't have the technology, so she stabbed him. Um. Yeah, but now she's just like, I want to keep Carlo here with me. And now she's him. going to make more Carlos! Basically, yes. Like, it's- oh my god, it's nuts. And like every her- horny dude is her victim. Her <laughs> spaceship is- he- and she loves roses. In fact, she loves roses so much, she, she made her spaceship a rose. Yep. Yep. <laughs> also, bye, Miguel, you fucker. <laughs> Anyway, Miguel did some things wrong. He did not deserve that. <laughs> also true. He, he, Miguel he did not a... deserve to get squished. <laughs> he didn't get squished. He went into the white light. And then he got squished. No, that was Heinz almost getting Oh yeah, he did. No, no it all collapsed. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, You're right. Miguel got squashed. You're right. I, I'm, Miguel, I'm Miguel, go, Miguel go boom. <laughs> he didn't go boom. He go splat. <laughs> Yeah, Miguel goes flat. Now there's a lot of Miguel on the magnetic rose. <laughs> oh boy, I'm going to hell. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's not the only body that probably turned up there. So yeah, there's a lot of fucking skeletons flying around at the end. It's like, oh look, it's Amon's family reunion. Um, <laughs> the skeletons. That's what I meant. <laughs> I'm sorry, don't, Amon. That don't, was don't, mean. don't be absurd. That's me and all my alternate universe selves having a meetup after we've died. We did it, boys! We, we grew up to be skeletons! We did it! We did it, fam! We did it, Reddit! We did it, Reddit! <laughs> Shit! Alternate universe, Amon's all over the place. 
God, what kind of conversation would they have? It's like, okay, Almond, question. Have you ever seen any of the anime for My Life as a Villainess? No. Or any screenshots of it? I mean, okay. miscellaneous screenshots, but okay. no, nothing specific. Okay. No. Oh, I know where she's going. Okay, with this. so oh, her inner thoughts are just different versions of herself, uh-huh. and it's they like all a look council. like her. Right. So and funny. but they're all chibis. Now I'm just imagining a bunch of chibi skeletons of the different aspects of Amon discussing how to go about their day. Oh, it's just they just—they're all wearing a shirt with the cover of their favorite Steely Dan album. They get into a day-long fight about it. <laughs> Oh my god! I love there's, one, it. there's there's one on the side who's actually a Donald Fagan solo album. He tries to join. They're like, "Not nah, look, we'll deal with you later." I love it. They're busy. I fucking love it. Today on Amon Masterpiece Theater. Um, <laughs> speaking of Masterpiece Theater, Laura Post is very threatening as a crazy lady. Yeah. Mm. And I think yeah. the best part about it is, is that it's that type of restrained crazy. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's where what makes like, it very unsettling. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to shank you and show you all the things that you want so that you'll stay with me, but I'm never going to extremely lose my temper until the very end where I'm floating in a, in a snow globe like Madame Leota. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because she, like, once things, sh- once shit goes, like, all the hell, she's just, like, in this hologram bubble. <laughs> yeah, after it's he like- shot, after, after Heinz very, very convincingly shoots a robot with a pistol. Um, ah, uh, yes. But no, <laughs> it's great. It's, my only question is, is that, like, they clearly used the OST for her opera singing. They didn't make Laura Post actually do no, that, no, did no, they? No, 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 no. No, 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 yeah. Okay, good, because I was confused. No, they, <laughs> I, they, I, they kept the soundtrack. They okay, kept the good. soundtrack from They did um, a good job matching it to, to the audio quality of the dub, though. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, discotheque does good shit, guys. Um... So no, I really loved her performance, and I think that there was a r- the right amount of like pathos at first for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then it slowly evolves into menace, and that's right, something be- that I think Laura Post is really good at nailing out throughout her mm-hmm. career, and it's on display here in full force. Uh, Robbie Damon is horny Miguel. <laughs> oh, Robbie Damon, you tried to steal this movie. <laughs> Robbie Damon tried to steal this segment with his acting. Like it's, it's, it's not overly hammy but it's mm-hmm. very comedic and it, but he nails when it needs to be drama yes like when carlo has gotten into the honey trap and he's like i'm sorry miguel has become carlo and in the honey trap yeah yeah like i 100 believe that this motherfucker was like yeah i love you babe i ain't never sold stop him loving his, you, babe. he sold his sanity for some lady <laughs> ghosts be like that sometimes oh yeah I guess Shit you happens. could say he ghosted himself. Then I'd God. Good night, <laughs> everybody. Good night, everybody. Episode over. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> no, no and I really enjoyed Robbie's performance because I think it brought levity to mm-hmm. to the tension when it needed to, but right. it also used that levity to turn against you in terms of the pacing and the the progression to the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I genuinely I think it, it really helped me to draw draw in and I actually think he is probably the best performer in this segment honestly um, I'd but, say that's debatable because I personally liked it a lot I think it was very good it was probably my personal favorite I mean that's fair but you also have Heinz <laughs> yeah because Mark Split was fucking great too yes <laughs> like I, I unfortunately am also not very familiar with Mark Swint's vocal work Mm-hmm. Uh, but I follow him on Twitter a lot. Uh, I like looking at pictures of his cats and his mechanic oh. work. Cute. Um, but 
I think that he did such a good job nailing the age of Hines so well yes. because he didn't make Hines seem like super old but not super youthful. Right. And I think that he also very much had the the okay, good, my my partner is a dumbass. Yeah. Like, come on, man, you haven't been doing your calcium treatments, like the he's like the guy who's got the new dude at work and he's just like, dude, I've been training you for weeks, can you please pay attention? <laughs> It's like, don't be a fucking dumbass. Don't be a fucking dumbass. And then, again, the straight man to Miguel's horseshit. But I think the, when he finally starts realizing that this is a trap is where yes. Mark really excels. Mm-hmm. And just the the way that he gets across Heinz's trauma in his voice. Yes. Like, the wibbles. Like, the like he doesn't wibble his lip, but, like, the, the genuine tears and the, mm-hmm. the pain and the panic. Like, the scene where Emily Emily falls off the roof. Yes. And he's just like, no! And like, you can genuinely hear, like, this is a dad watching his kid die in real time. Mm-hmm. And Mark gets that across with the timbre of his voice. And just, also, when he's cradling, he doesn't just go to Ava and, uh, and, um... Emily? Emily. And he holds the dead body and just goes... Like, just, he gets across genuine grieving fathers so fucking Yeah. Like, that's why I was saying, like, I know you, preference-wise, you really loved Robbie as Miguel. Miguel, But, like, that's why I said debatable, because Mark Swind was so fucking good. Mm. Like, holy shit. I loved it, too. Like, oh my god. Like, just a lot of... The, the the span of emotions that Heinz goes through in a matter of, like, the 45 minutes is just so well handled and so well done. I loved it, honestly. But, um, no, yeah, I, I really love, oh my god, like, I, for me personally, I really loved Mark Swint. I think for he for me, he's the standout of this section, honestly. That's not to say that Robbie and Laura aren't phenomenal as well like you brought up a lot of really like poignant things about the performances that are just like oh yeah 100 percent fucking miguel miguel is such a jackass i love it like he's the only stupid moron of the crew and he's such a playboy. Like, you get that very early on when he's like, ah, yes. Like, he has a picture of one girl. He's like, oh, but what about her? <laughs> what am I going to do about her? <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is the kind of guy we're dealing with here. <laughs> and he just gets duped so fucking fast. So fast. Like, it's... it's he's has such a never a chance. Mm-hmm. He has such a fun tone. And it's a bit more, um... Not... Not necessarily lighthearted, but, like, the tone of voice, I think, gives a fun blending and dynamicism with the with the um, crew of the Corona. Because both Mark and Frank Todaro are, like, lower registered performances. And then you have um, Aoshima, Derek, Stephen Prince, who's... Derek Stephen Prince, for God's sake. And then Miguel is just like the younger, like every every guy, every every like, hey, what's up, fellow kids? <laughs> like, how do you do, fellow kids? How do you do, <laughs> fellow kids? Like he has that kind of vibe to me, and it makes sense. So, because Ro- Robbie plays it as more like casual, nonchalant, just like, hey, 
<laughs> but also kind of charismatic and it's very very nice i liked it and laura post you described it very very well megan it's very like unsettling and like it's not like full-blown crazy it's very very subtle and menacing and it's very interesting because if you've never seen the movie before and, and this short in particular we learn, of course, early on that she was an opera singer and she's just referred to as like this queen or princess of uh, like Italian opera back in the day. And the flashback bits and all that fun stuff with Laura and the lines that she has reflects that very, very well. Which makes the later revelation that, oh, Ava's actually fucking crazy. Uh, even more like, oh, like, oh shit, that kind of deal. You know what I mean? Hmm. So, like... I really love how these were, characters were handled and the performances are fun. But yeah, personally, I really liked Mark Swain, but all three of these were, roles were great, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Laura, Laura, I think unsettling is the good word. Like, um, yeah. Like, to a large extent, this is kind of a haunted house movie. And to make it like a, to compare it to another very famous haunted house movie. Um, like, she kind of reminds me of like any given scene where like Jack Nicholson is interacting with a ghost in The Shining. Where like, mm. it's not really overt, but there's something very off happening in their performance. Yeah. And she, I think she gets that of like, this could be, this is almost normal. But right. it's not quite, and there's just this uncanny valley aspect to it almost. Where it's, it's, there's something off, even if you can't quite put your finger on it at first. Um mm -hmm. I also think she she does a good job getting on kind of like Ava's realness. Like you, yes. you she 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 sounds like all the Rococo architecture looks, which I, I think is a really important aspect of the character. Mm -hmm. um, Robbie's he's just he's he's delightful. Just what a <laughs> what a what a what a what a silly ham who's gonna go hit on some ladies when they get back to Earth. Uh, he wants that. He wants some ladies in his life. Pretty ladies. Much. Yeah, he's just he's he's good at being the sort of the, you know the you know the 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 guy who's kind of a Don Juan and kind of knows he's yes. being a little ridiculous, but he's yes. fine with that. Yep, um, that that's a hundred percent Miguel. Um, it, although one of my favorite bits between him and Mark was like where he's like dying on the elevator, and Mark's just like, "Look at you! You haven't been doing your your calciums like." get yourself like i'm gonna let you die there if you don't do it man like i'm not helping you this is your fault <laughs> and there was another fucking moment like maybe not even like five minutes later where miguel fucking eat tries to eat the food oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like don't eat, don't eat that and he it's like what, what are you doing and then like pukes. yeah heinz just tests the water faucet and it's like disgusting water and then like yeah. <laughs> miguel starts then, vomiting it's like I it's told like you, oh this wine sucks it's like, I told you, you fucker, you shouldn't have done that. Poor Miguel. <laughs> being Miguel is suffering. There's a real, like, don't go into, like, the Fey world and eat the food vibe in that moment. Yes. 100%. And that's now, the and vibe. Now and now you're stuck here, Miguel. You you ate the food. Now 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 this is your world now. Sorry. Congrats, Miguel. You played yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's just, he's really, like, funny and energetic, but also, I like, I just like his contrast of just how much more emotional he is than Heinz, like, even when they're just, like, walking around and Heinz, like, let's split up and Miguel, like, is audibly freaked out about it, because he's like, oh, yeah. do you believe in ghosts now? Is that what's <laughs> happening right here? Yeah. Um, but he, he just, he does a good job of just selling how, like, uh, like, he's funny early on when he's being more sort of Mr. Lothario, but he, he does really sell, like, how much panic Miguel starts going through once things get strange and this isn't normal and i think i'm a little lost guys um 
Mm-hmm. He really sells that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I that I'm. I'm also not super familiar with a lot of Mark's stuff. I mostly know him as like, oh, you're one of those guys on Twitter who I don't follow. I don't think, but I see you on Twitter a lot, and you seem cool. Uh, and I think he he has a really trouble. He has a difficult job with Heinz that I think he does really admirably. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because Heinz is like so kind of like repressed in such a closed box and has so much like pain inside. Uh, and I think he does a good job of communicating a lot of that. And, you know, later on when, you know, he's, he's re-witnessing his daughter's death of, like, opening up in that in a way that feels very authentic and doesn't go yeah. into, like, it doesn't become, like, histrionics or, you know, cheesy or anything like that. It feels very, uh, like, natural to what the character's going through. Um, but, you know, which I, I think it's important. I feel like if you have a, if you have a bad Heinz here, I feel like the whole short can fall apart pretty quickly. So, like, mm-hmm. kudos to Mark for, like, being able to nail that. No, yeah, like, he has the hardest job of, like, basically carrying the whole short through, and he, mm-hmm. I think he does phenomenally. Yeah, now the poor bastard just floating in space. Floating in space. We don't right. know what happened to Corona, assuming oh, the no, Corona like, oh, just blew up. Oh, yeah, no, there's a scene where you can watch it, like, get crushed against, like, some of the other debris because of, like, oh, the, right, the magnetic right. fields. So, right. yeah, so the, everybody's dead but Hines, who yeah, might and, as well be unless, dead because he's just floating in space. Yeah, and unless, unless someone else finds that distress signal happens to wander by before he starves to death he's not gonna do so hot himself no he's he's, Heinz is not long for this world either it's fine yeah poor guy he's just speed running he's just speed running so he can see Emily again (laughs) oh my god no oh shit alright 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 any other little thoughts about Heinz, Miguel, or Ava no alright then let's do a quick final thoughts. How did we feel about the dub of Magnetic Rose? Oh, it's fantastic. It's easily one of the best dubs of the year so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the direction, writing, and acting all come together perfectly to understate itself as well as grip the tension of Magnetic Rose itself. I definitely think it's a must-watch. Uh, if only Discotech could print them faster. <laughs> <laughs> They yeah they instantly literally like, literally A and N's only minus about memories is discotech is running out of stock, <laughs> like, which is amazing because having like older films like this like getting the popularity and the attention I, I'm all for it. Yeah, no, this like, is legit. Sorry, go on. No, you can go. No, this is great. Like this is this is a blast. Like this this movie's like in. This short and this, the whole movie in general is really up my alley, and I think you can really say, see all the care and attention to detail that went into dubbing this. Like, this is mm-hmm. this is great. I can, I can, you know, you hope that, like, anything, you know, that's more like 10 years old, it gets picked up, and, like, you know, you know, the music and effects tracks have survived long enough that they can even give it a dub. You you, you hope that, that this is the kind of quality you would, you would get in a new dub for something that old, and yeah. I think it, this succeeds on all accounts. No, yeah, this is definitely... Oh, oh, it makes me so happy. It's the last, again, the last missing piece of Cone's legacy, essentially, um, mm-hmm. that hadn't really been pushed so much um, in the States. So I'm happy to see that it's getting a new life again. And this dub just, there's so much care and attention to the, the, the details and all the fun things that it just, it just stands out so well. I really, really love it. Oh, please. First of all, go get Memories, because Memories itself is fun. But two, please, if, when you do, go watch Magnetic Rose. It's such a fun, fun little short in a great anthology film, honestly. Um, before we transition over to the next short, 
Uh, <laughs> Amon, do uh-huh. we? Amon, you know, because we always, when you're here, you always have to have a dusty old song. Uh-huh. Though I also have a dusty old song, and it's humanly possible we could have the same one, but we'll find out. Do you have a dusty old song today? I do, but would you like to go first? I guess. So, I was looking at the liner notes last night. Uh-huh. And, um, a fun fact. So... <laughs> Fun, a few couple fun things. First of all, the the operatic pieces for Magnetic Rose um, is the opera pieces for the opera Madame Butterfly uh, with a brand new arrangement that Yoko Kano did. And it's very, very fun. But a random fact that I found out during the, in the liner notes is um, in 2003, uh, there was a musician who was inspired by Magnetic Rose named Robbie Williams. And uh, he Hold the wrote- fuck up. What? I'll get a note. The Blu-ray software um, that I have is like not great. So I actually uh, like it wouldn't like let me read the liner notes very well. So I didn't get to read much of them. So continue here because I, I, this may be going in a very weird direction. So <laughs> the artist named Robbie Williams, who was inspired by Magnetic Rose. And in 2003, as one of from as a part of one of his albums, I forgot the name of it. And I didn't write it down. He wrote a song called Berliner Star, which he wrote the lyrics for From Carlo's Point of View to Ava. <laughs> and just and, and just to be clear, this is Robbie Williams, British pop star and former boy band member Robbie Williams, yes? I'm pretty sure this is the right one, yes. Holy shit, okay. <laughs> yeah! Did you guys have the same song? Uh, no, I picked some No, it sounds stuff. like we didn't. It sounds like we did not. <laughs> I just, I'm just. Ama- no, like, it's a fun, like poppy like rock kind of thing where it's like talking about how much he loves Ava and like he legit uses Ava's name in the fucking song and how much he still loves her and stuff like it's a fun little like two to three minute song so go give it a listen when you're done with this this is so what that's like to give me an idea imagine if like Justin Timberlake wrote a song about an anime that's what happened here more or less that's kind of what happened yeah that's kind of what's the song called Berliner Star all right. B R L I N E R star. Well, you, and it's you, by Robbie Williams. Well, you you scooped me on this, so congratulations. <laughs> I mean, you asked me to go first. What's, I, what's your dusty old song, sir? Oh, my dusty old song is I'm going to stumble my way through recommending opera recordings I've never listened to because I don't actually listen to opera. But opera, it's a big part of this. Uh, as you mentioned, it takes a lot from uh, Puccini's Madame Butterfly. Apparently, mm-hmm. one of the songs in there is also from another opera he did called um, Tosca. Yes. Uh, I have not listened to any of these, um, but I did do some digging and I did find what appeared to be some like recommended recordings of these operas, which I, mm-hmm. you can get on CD and I'm sure they're streaming one way or another. Um, obviously doing this is hard because opera gets recorded a lot and what are considered the best ones has a lot to do with like who's cast in it, what kind of performance they're giving, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'll give you some that seem to be pretty well regarded by people on the internet who care about opera. For Madama Butterfly, I actually have three. Uh, okay. One, there is a recording from 1954 done for his master's voice in EMI, which stars Victoria de los Angeles and Giuseppe de Stefano. Um, that one was released on CD. I, I'm having a hard time. I had a hard time figuring out which like version of it is in print, but it is on Spotify. If you punch in like their names, it'll be the one that comes up. Ooh, nice. uh, in 1955, there is a recording done for Columbia starring uh, Marie Callas and Nicolai Guetta. Uh, you can get that on CD from Warner Classics. And there's a recording from 1966, also done for his master's voice in EMI, that stars uh, Renata Scotto and Carlo Bergog- 
Bergonzi, which is on CD from EMI Classics. Uh, Tosca is a little bit easier because there apparently is one recording that for like five straight decades was considered the reading of this to the point yeah. that it is now in the Library of Congress's um, National Recording Registry, which is, you know, we're basically, you know, this is something culturally significant, so it gets rewarded. Nice. And that was done in 1953 for EMI. It stars Maria Callas and is conducted by Victor de, Victor de Sabata, and you can also get that on CD from Warner Classics. So go check those out, and you can feel very cultured for about, like, two or three hours. Ah, uh, yes. All right. So I think we're ready to transition into the say, next I short. What? I was gonna say, Megan doesn't have a Dutch Seal song, but as a joke, go listen to Kiss by a Rose. Kiss from a Rose by Seal. Oh, boy. <laughs> There's your Dutch Seal song. Alright. No. Alright, I think it's time to transition into into the next short and... Hold on. Um... Guys? Do you, do you smell that? Yeah. I don't know oh, what that's... that is. Megan? Oh my god! Oh my god, Steph! Steph, are you okay? It... Hey, what's that smell? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We at Dub Talk TV have been called onto the scene to investigate. What the hell is going on after our last batch of reporters that fled to the scene have suddenly died due to an intense case of some sort of toxic gas that has taken over the entirety of the Yamanashi Prefecture. That's where we're at. Okay, sorry. I'm still not quite sure about how these Japanese prefectures work. I'm new to the area. I'm new to the... So what do you want from me? Anyways... We are monitoring the situation cautiously and carefully, but many have fallen victim to this nauseous gas, and we are here to report it to you, our dear viewers and listeners. I am Ace Reporter Andrew, and joining me here is my good old cameraman, companion, compatriot, cohort, Patrick. I don't believe it. I see a man in the middle of the gas fog. It looks like he has broken wind. I don't know. I don't know what I'm seeing, folks. But I think this guy is responsible for everything. I get the feeling that he must have gone to a 5 a.m. Chipotle run, and it probably went as well as you'd expect. And joining us is our man in the sky who's keeping us in the sky, our co-pilot, Jet. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing just fine there, buddy. I'm doing just, uh, I'm just hitting me here in the sky. Oh, my God, what's, what, what's that smell? Thanks. Oh, oh, God. Oh, no, he's got a whiff. Oh, no. WE'RE CRASHING! <sighs> so, on our way down, Andrew, why don't you tell us why we're here? You're a man of many talents, sir. We barely escaped with our lives, but we are here to investigate this stinky, bombastic tragedy. This Stink bomb. Ba da 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 I don't know why I thought. My first instinct was Terminator 2, despite the fact that. God, imagine like the fucking stink bomb was just like a T1000. That'd be fucked. 
Anyways, so in case you you are already still tuned in to this episode, we are covering the second of three films in the popular, well, not even say popular, the critically acclaimed uh, anime anthology series from one uh, Katsuhiro Otomo Memories. This is the second one. This is called Stink Bomb. Uh, animated by Studio Madhouse, the only one of these three to be animated by a different studio, and directed by one Tensai Okamura, who at the time was a relatively young director when he worked on this project. But afterwards, he's gone on to have a pretty prolific career. Uh, who He's gone on to direct such things as Wolf's Reign, Blue Exorcist, The Seven Deadly Sins, Kuromukuro, but, at the end of the liner notes, he did say that he feels the show that most reflects him as a director was, in fact, Metabots. Oh, huh. Oh, that is, uh, that is okay. Not the, yeah, that is not the one I thought you were going to say, wait, you. No, that's literally at the end of the liner notes, which, by the way, I love I love the special effects features on, on this uh this Blu-ray disc, uh, Discotech definitely outdid themselves. The liner notes were really cool. And there's a little, lot of tidbits I'll bring up, but I, I just I just want to bring up the fact that he straight up was like, yeah, no, uh, if you really want to know, like, a little bit about me as a director-creator, uh, check out Metabots. I'm like, yeah, okay! Yeah, I seriously thought you were going to, like, cap that with Darker Than Blind. I was at a trip to Metabots. Oh, yeah, he did mention that he worked on Doctor Darker Than Blacks, but no, he ended it with Metabots. I'm like, okay, that's, that's really funny. God, uh, Metabots <laughs> were, like, literally everybody we we associate with Sakuga was somehow associated with back in the early uh, 2000s. It's insane. Uh, it's genuinely insane and fascinating. I need to rewatch that. God. God, you know what is insane, though? This fucking movie. <sighs> this is the actual... So... My first exposure to this particular short was, like a couple of people on this podcast, uh, watching the uh, English dub premiere on uh, on Twitch in February, where at the time, uh, Stinkbomb and Cannon Fodder, they were not yet done with their uh, restoration process, so they still looked a little similar to their original masters. But the dub itself was done, so I got to hear it and watch it for a first time, and this... This is actual insanity, and probably some of the most aggressively dark humor I have seen in a long time. <laughs> but it's, it is it is slapstick, nonsensical shenanigans, and it's got a nice jazz, funk, ska, musical backing to go alongside the sort of quirkiness of it. So... Stick Bomb is effectively, it's about this guy, his name is Nobuo, he's got a bad case of the cold, he's got the seasonal flu, and he works at a pharmaceutical company, what and- What could possibly we, what, go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? He goes into his boss's office to find an experimental pill that might make him feel better. Turns out, he took the wrong pill. Oops! 
And because of that, he becomes a literal weapon of mass destruction, killing everything and anything around him. Wacky hijinks! Woo! Uh, yeah, that really definitely raised a lot of questions as to, like, why you would just leave that lying around somewhere, but... It's... So, it is very clear that the tone of this film in particular is that it is a... It is a hardcore satire about, uh, Japanese public... About public, uh... Basically, the way the Japanese government would react in a time of crisis, while also kind of being, because uh, apparently uh, Odomo's also a big fan of doing stories that basically mock and ridicule the Japanese salaryman. Basically, just the one note: I'm gonna do so good at my job, and my job is my life now. Basically, making fun of the fact that this dude's just doing his nine to five, but. In the face of crisis and adversity, he's still going to do his job no matter what. Uh. <laughs> but it's also like, if I was to describe, if I was to compare this movie to anything, it feels so, 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 so much to me like Doctor Strangelove. Yeah. It feels so eerily similar to Doctor Strangelove in that. This is basically, it is an absurd, dark comedy, but it is also, like, a criticism or, like, an idea of how a superpower, like, a, a national superpower would act in a huge crisis and how much they would basically bumble at the 10-yard line. Hmm. Which, as it turned out... Apparently, during production, there was a big earthquake that happened in Japan, and the, a huge uproar happened because people were criticizing the Japanese government's super slow uh, act to call to action to do things, and like actual new like laws and reforms were in place because of it. Mm. So as it turned out, yeah, this movie has some things to say, and they were actually kind of right. And is history doomed to repeat itself? I don't know. Is there, in fact, still an ongoing Olympic event that was going to take place this year that shouldn't have taken place this year and at the time of release has happened? Yeah, I mean, is there, I mean, it's, I mean, it, I don't know, Andrew. I mean, it's not like Japan isn't, you know, badly handling the virus right now. Nah. You know how we stop the virus? Giving the athletes cardboard beds so they don't have sex with each other. And as I, or, as I, or you know, you, you just don't eat with foreigners. See, I know yours is a little more xenophobic and disgusting, but I just wanted to take a second to say... You don't need a bed to have sex! You're Japan! Have you seen your own pornography? Life finds a way! And I mean, look, the Olympics is kind of notorious for its athletes, you know, cramming like 10,000 athletes into the same village. And, ex <laughs> you know. And that's fair. That's fair. That's fine. I've seen but Animal also Olympics. I know what happens. 
Also, they're athletes. They're the strongest people in the world. They can fucking lift each other. Christ. We should probably talk about this dub now, actually. <laughs> so, so here's the fun thing about Memories, is that Memories is handled by two different studios. Uh, both uh, Magnetic Rose and the preceding film are done at Studio 4 Degrees C, and this one is done at Studio Madhouse. As it turns out, the English dub of this has done something similar, where the previous one we've just discussed uh, was done at NYAV Post. But the team working on the English dub of Stink Bomb is at Sound Cadence Studio in Texas. And handling the uh, daunting task of doing this film... That goes to our ADR direction team of Amber Lee Connors, assisted by Damon Mills and Emily Fajardo, and the screenplay adaptation is done by one Justin Savakis. Uh, Amber Lee Connors has directed for such projects as Gleepnir, Actors Song Connection, City Hunter, Shinjuku Private Eyes, and Hells. Damon Mills has directed for such anime, such as uh, actors Song Connection and Kono Ototomare, and has lead-directed projects such as Full Dive and Last Dungeon Boonies. I'm not saying the full names of either of those. We don't have enough time for that. And Emily Fajardo, who has, directed, who has assisted and directed on such projects as Mushoko Tensei Jobless Reincarnation, Golden Kamoi Season 3, Back Arrow, and Thermai Romai. So, what are your thoughts? Because we're going to go into... Oh, oh, I should probably mention. Uh, also, uh, Justin Svekis. Uh, his only other writing credit that I could really find for this particular one was the preceding uh, Magnetic Rose English dub. So, as far as I can tell, most of uh, Svekis' writing credits I could find are for the Memories Project in particular. But he's so, also the big disc-producing guy for Discotech. Very much so, yes. And I think so, he also does stuff for Anime Limited as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, he has, like, his own, like, uh, Blu-ray production company. Right. Uh, Media OCD, which they're even credited at as one of the studios at the end of this project. Uh, like, in, like, the end credits, which, yeah. So... Where do we begin with this one in particular? Because we can talk about the direction. Because the thing about Stink Bomb is that there's actually a shocking amount of people in this dub. But we just kind of don't have time to really talk about them. Because mm. they kind of show up in a blink-and-you-miss-it fashion. But a number of them actually made a pretty big impact. And a lot of them were really strong and did a really good job. It's also worth mentioning that they did all of this. The entirety of the dub of the Memories Project was done remotely from home. Yeah. Every yeah, I will say one thing I appreciated here is that while this stuff doesn't sound like, you know, super retro or anything, just going by the overall presentation, I feel like if you showed it to somebody who didn't know better, they would definitely think the dub is as old as the movie is, but, like, in a good way, which I appreciate. It, it definitely... It's the way I would describe it, it almost seems like kind of like retro tinted, not in a way where it's like aggressive or like not in like a megalo box way where it's like they de-resed it to make it look more retro or something. It, it just feels like it works 
it doesn't feel out of place with the era, if that makes sense. Yeah. But, mm. like, there's there's a lot of people in this ensemble who definitely have strong impressions that we, we just don't have time to really talk about all of their characters, or they didn't really show up to, uh, to, like, they didn't last too long. So a lot of these people die pretty quick, because it's like a 40-minute short, and it's people need to drop, it's like five minutes ago. Yeah, uh, uh... Um, yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Colonel Sob for the frostiness of that line. That that'll stick with me. Okay, <laughs> if if I if I had a character name, I would absolutely be talking about Alejandro Sob's character in this, who is basically a uh, military colonel who is pretty much like the frontline defense, basically trying to kill Nobu at the end of the movie, and he has some of like the most killer lines in this. I need to find the exact line that he says because it fucking cracks me up every time he says it. Uh, uh, God, what the hell is it? it specifically, it's when they're trying to freeze him with li liquid nitrogen. Uh, I, can uh, I can type it into the chat. I, I got it here. Freeze him out like he's Frosty the goddamn snowman. Holly happy this asshole. Bless you, I love. Bless you. Oh god, the cadence at which he delivered that line fucking kills me. Also, you can tell he really wanted to say fuck because when the the sp oh yeah, by the way, full movie spoilers in case that isn't clear already. Uh, when all the uh the American spaceman army guys are coming in and basically ignoring him, he just does this great. Fine! Say if I care! Get yourself killed for all I care! It's like, oh. No, like, Alejandro's, like, one of my favorite, uh, like, side characters in the ensemble, but I also, like, adore a couple of the, uh, other ones there. Uh, we're not talking about Omida, but I love Chris Guerrero coming in and basically screaming every single line as Omida when he realizes, oh god, somebody fucked up and I fucked up bad. <laughs> That was particularly fun, and another shout-out, uh, in particular to, uh, uh, Karen Collar as Grandma! Grandma! Oh, the whole thing Grandma was great. Oh, and she's just got this great, like, old lady voice. No, I don't know what's going on, but please turn back. And then they tried shooting, it was like, are you trying to kill my grandson? What's wrong with you people? It's like, ah, uh, no, but I've, I've never heard of Karen before, but she does a great job with grandma and just give it a couple of shout outs to other people in the ensemble one more i'll give a shout out to actually um aaron campbell who apparently is like the first nhk reporter which they actually go into the behind the scenes footage about the dub uh apparently he used to be a tv reporter actually because uh Savakis was talking to uh amberly connors about this and he's like and he's just like man a lot of movies seem to get like the the reporters so wrong, but he just sounded so authentic and good. He's, and she's just like, and Amber was just like, oh yeah, no, Aaron Campbell used to be a reporter. It's like, ah, that that makes perfect sense then. <laughs> so, like, this is a a pretty decent ensemble for a lot of people who really can't make too much of a big impact because it's forty minutes. But like, a lot of the voices are very good and compelling, and they just do a great job with it. And, like, a couple of really memorable ones in particular. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, one other thing I really want to mention about the voice direction is I think they really just handled the tone of the movie really well. Again, well, the whole scenario here is, like, steeped in dark humor. 
Uh, the situation is treated obviously dead seriously in universe and the number reflects that really well. And I think I mean, I really just think the contrast between like how constantly packed a lot of the other characters sound and how and contrasted to Nobuo who has like no idea why everyone's trying to shoot him and it just makes everything funnier. Nobuo is just he has no idea what's going on at all. He's just like Man, today is just my luck. Like, it's like ever it's like the context was not the fact that he was basically a threat to humanity right now. He would just be some unlucky schmuck. But no, he's a he's a fucking weapon of mass destruction. Which also apparently stink bomb is absolutely a pun on the Japanese term for weapon of mass destruction. Huh. Which is actually not that surprising, all things considered. Mm. Uh, Roosh, uh, yeah, I found that out. Uh, uh, Patrick, uh, what are your thoughts on this production in particular? Yeah, so I was actually really impressed with the script writing. Um, as far as I'm aware, this is the first time Justin Savakis has actually done script writing for a project unless there was unless there was something back in the um, oh I can't remember which anime distributor he worked for like many many years ago but um, for what is probably his first modern modern dub script writing job um, he does a really great job kind of I feel like if you put the subtitles underneath with the dub um, it would be relatively similar, but not not dogmatic to the subtitles. Obviously, the, you know, like, freeze them out like Frosty the Goddamn Snowman. I have strong doubts that is in the in the subtitled version. I'll, um, I'll say this, because I was watching a little bit of uh, some of the behind-the-scenes, like, in preparation with this and alongside Steph. Uh, I, th I think they were very much mentioning, when you're working with an older property you can actually get away with a lot more than you would something a little more modern, unless, like, the creators are very, very protective of it. <laughs> Sorry, I had a little uh, something in my throat there. <clears throat> Not sure how that got in there. Um, but, no, like, I, I think it's like when something's a little, a much older property or something, a lot of the people that are at the helm of this, like, might be a little more lenient and not too protective of, of their stuff. So you could probably take a little more liberties with certain translation and adaptive choices. And they've, it's like, they've kind of moved on to like the, the new hotness. Like, and this is a almost, this is a 25 year old movie. This movie is probably slightly older than I am for reference. Hmm. Yeah. So I, yeah. Um, I just kind of, really like that it was um it felt loose it felt poppy um like characters have a lot of great banter between one another especially in the war room um like some of my favorite scenes are just the the big wig higher ups just kind of chewing each other out and realizing oh god we are screwed um it's an absolute delight and i love that like you guys mentioned, the, the direction sort of, it really leans into the 
from our perspective, it's a black comedy. But from theirs, it's pretty much an end-of-the-world scenario. It is basically, if they do one false move, everything is going to be destroyed. Right. Like, there is brown in their pants right now. Like, pretty much that level of uh, aggressive, this is going to go so wrong. And, like, without a doubt, the thing, like, that sells me is just... They've got a pretty, uh, we've gotten very used to, uh, Saud, Cadence, Steph Lee taking full advantage of the remote recording era, but this is another dub that really shows, like, the wide reach that they've got with their talent pool for this, because you've got, you've got the Texas, you've got the Texas scene, you've got Dallas and Houston representing, you've got, uh, New York, you've got California, and you've even got a good old old Canadian guy in there too. It's re- like for a relatively like small short, they got a really wide array of talent, and without a doubt, Amber and her team are absolutely killing it on this project. And it really sounds strong, authentic, and actually pretty goddamn impressive under the circumstances. And with that. It's like, I, I'd love to talk a little more about this, but basically it's just, they did a really stellar job with this production, and I was very entertained with all of the small background deliveries, the line reads, and the overall, ju- just ev- everybody in this dub sounds fan-fucking-tastic. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to go into a little more about the main players of this, specifically the War Room group. Basically, this consists of uh, Nirasaki, uh, Nirasaki and Kamata, who I believe are representative. They're like big representatives of the pharmaceutical company that Nobuo works for, and are reporting back to. They're reporting back to the general officer, as well as General Saunders, who is an American general. So. Uh, it, <laughs> I just, there is nothing in this film where it's just like, you're waiting for the shoe to drop, where it's like, Nirosaki basically sends Nobuo, without even questioning it, to come to him to bring him the confidential project he's been working on because nobody can know about it, not even the police, and then they're telling him, don't worry everybody, that confidential information that shouldn't get out... That's coming towards us. We got our best guy on it. He's our only guy. And then I just love it's like, so you realize that's coming for us, right? (laughs) (laughs) And the fear of God was placed in those men. I was like, oh, my God, I love that scene so much. And oh, my God. So I'd love to talk about the particular men uh, playing these characters in particular. Uh, Kamata is played by Gianni Matragrano. Nirasaki is played by Stephen Kelly. General Saunders is played by Bill Butts. And general the general officer is Mike Pollock. Uh, Gianni you'll know from such performances as Minotaur from Sleepy Princess in the Demon Castle, Kengo in The Last Dungeon Boonies, Mira in Beat X, and Leo in Arte. Uh, Stephen Kelly you'll have heard as such characters as... Kisho in Sleepy Princess, 
Diria in Dragon Ghost House Hunting, Praetor in Thermai Romai, and Ryo Satome in Actors Songs Connection. Uh, Bill has played such characters as Chocolata in Jojo Golden Wind, Odin in Record of Ragnarok, Sebastian Morse in Gundam Thunderbolt, Thunder, uh, Gundam Thunderbolt Bandit Flower, and Kyosuke Hori in Horimiya. And of course, Mike Pollock, the man, the myth, the legend himself, who has played such characters as Kudo in The Great Pretender, Yakov Nikitin in Dr. Stone, Deus Prometh in Promare, and of course, the Eggman. He is the Eggman in Sonic X. I liked I like Eggman in all of his roles, such as Sonic X, uh, Sonic Unleashed, Sonic Lost World, and the IHOP commercial. Yeah, put it let's put it this way: out of the entire Sonic cast, this man had the most job security. Oh, absolutely! Good for him. Good for him. But man, so so so, where should we even? Which one should we even start off with? Uh, I mean, uh, New Yusaki and Kamata are kind of interchangeable, but I do, I do this very much. I do this very much enjoy how much they just kind of sound like. Just as, as I, I mean, just like very sad yes men. <laughs> I, I want to talk about at least uh, Kamata because I, I've over the past year I have become very acquainted with the person known as Gianni Matragrano, and that man is a fucking wizard. Cause he can do so many goddamn voices. I'm kind of baffled, and he's a very convincing old man voice. Actually, both Gianni and Steven. They're effectively playing very old, like, bureaucrat, pharmaceutical company men. And I think the guys who are playing them are, like, maybe, like, late 20s, mid 30s at most. And they have, like, really convincing old man voices. And, like, they do a fantastic job. But Gianni's just, like, so different than what I've heard of him as Leo or his, uh... Really impressive Spike Spiegel impersonation. I know that's not his professional work, but by God. By God, his uh, Steve Bloom Spike Spiegel impersonation is scary. Mm. But in this, he's basically just like a sniff, like he's a sniveling snot-nosed guy who sounds really out of breath and tired every single time he talks. He's like, well, it just... Jet, I, I apologize about this. He sounds like... <sighs> He sounds like... Oh, God, Jet, I'm so sorry about this. He sounds like what if Double D became a conservative senator. I'm not even upset by that. For some reason, I'm not even going to get somewhere worse with that. I, just, I didn't want to assault Double D like that. Double D was my favorite Ed boy, and I don't want to do him dirty like that. <laughs> but, like, uh, that's what his voice sounds like to me. Uh, okay, I can't kind of hear that now, and I swear that is accurate in a weird sense. Uh, that's that's far from the worst thing I've said with you recently, where I relate to somebody that uh, Bryce in Demon Slayer sounds a bit like Richard Horvitz in, in Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, and I Alex got really pissed at me for that. I mean, I mean, you weren't wrong though. Uh, also, actually, oh wait. You know what? I just realized what I was talking about, like, representing from all over. Stephen Kelly. 
Apparently, he's from Scotland. Huh. I knew he wasn't local, but I, I didn't realize where he was until I watched the uh, special features. Steven's from Scotland. Oh, well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, there have been like a couple of other dubs I've seen uh, semi recently within the last couple of years that like had people from out of the country. Like, I don't, like I know there was someone like that in uh, Japan sings, and I'm pretty sure they knew Asuka in the Netflix dub. I think from, I think she's from the UK. Yes. Yeah, she was, yeah, I think she was from the UK or Scotland. I can't remember which one. But to me, it seems like Sound Cadence in particular seems like the most willing and able to work with talent from out of the country. And this is relied by the fact that both Gianni and Steven at this point are regular actors for them. And they are from from Canada and Scotland, respectively. Mm. But Steve, Stephen Kelly is actually pretty interesting. This is my first time, I think, actually talking about him. He's got a very unique, stern, uh, like, authoritative voice. He's got a level of strength in him when he's a chastising Nobuo and he's asking for Omida. He's like, but then he gets really stern and is like, listen to me. I cannot rely on anybody else. You're the only one I can count on. I need you to take these documents and bring them to me and don't tell anybody. But then when it's, uh, he's telling the council, it's like, don't worry, everybody, our secret's safe. And then Mike Pollock is just like, so the gas is traveling towards us. And, like, as soon as he says that, I'm like, oh, yeah. you fucked up. Yeah, and I appreciate how much that confidence just suddenly takes it to Whippard. <laughs> they, they go from being, like, strong, we've got the situation under control to, oh, God, we fucking killed us all. And that's another thing, is that apparently uh, the team of this actually surveyed uh, where this film takes place because basically uh, the actual pharmaceutical company is in located in the Yamanashi Prefecture. And they actually have like a map like in the liner notes where they actually scouted out like the distance from Yamanashi where it's like it's basically up in the mountains and pretty isolated. But once you go down to the, the mountains and go straight, you're heading towards the Tokyo metropolitan area. And it's like, oh, they actually did the research for that. But no, I, I just thought it was really interesting. And I, I really like Steven in this in particular. He's got a very strong, but like really like, oh, I fucked up voice. Mm. Uh, you have anything to add, Roots? What's that? Uh, what are your thoughts on these two uh, sniveling pharmaceutical yes-men? Oh, well, uh, obviously they're sniveling corporate weasels and cowards, and uh, where their first... What I love is the company's first priority when the alert goes out is, um, oh yeah, get the formula and bring it to us so that we can cover this up. Like, it's not, you oh know. yeah, it's not, oh yeah, let's, um, let's try and minimize the damage that is going on. It's, it's, no, no. We're going to keep our asses out of the fire. Which is Which, also hilarious when we get to the end of the movie. Um, God, is it? I really don't have much to say about these two, but... Um, Bill Butts and Mike Pollock just do a really... Like... 
General Saunders is just this hyper-competent military guy. He's got all of these well-laid-out plans to deal with with Nobuo, um, which feels really weird because you, you know... Are they like implying this... that the U.S. of A. might be dubious and doing some shady things <laughs> yeah, behind the yeah, scenes? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he definitely comes off as, like, the most confident and smug guy in the room, and Bill just reflects that really well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bill's just got this aura of, like, strength and swagger to him that he just carries in his delivery, where he's where like, it's clear your prime minister has already given up. Why not hand us the reins and give us a shot at this? And I, I, but no, Bill's just got such a cool, like, strong aura to him where he's just like, I know what I'm doing. Don't mess with us. We, we've got everything under control and we're going to make this work in our favor. Hmm. And, you know, it, it honestly felt like he was aware of what was going to happen before any of this actually went down. Like, like he was prepared with the guys in the astronaut suits, uh, pretty much as soon as Nobuo woke up and was on his way. Um, Got it. I, I'm just going to say this right now, just because it was the first thing that came to mind. As soon as like I saw those Space Force... Oh, God, I, I ruined my own punchline. Shit. I, I literally saw the 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 astronaut space suits guys. I turned to Steph when I was rewatching this. I'm like, oh, so that's what the Space Force is. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. And last but certainly not least, I, I love the fact that um, Mike Pollock just took no shit from anyone. Uh, um, yeah, he was clearly the most exhausted guy in the room. <laughs> he he was the most exhausted guy, but he was like, let's put it like this: when it comes to the discussion of bureaucracy and like leaders or people in control, like the general officer is the most like actual lead. Like this is a man who actually feels like he truly leads. Because yeah. there's just a level of, it's like, there's we have literally no time to point figures and bitch at who's at fault here. This thing is moving. This is active. People are dying as we're stalking like now. Let's figure this the fuck out. And, like, when everything's all doom and gloom, he's not even, like, mad at the fucking uh, pharmaceutical bootlickers. He's just like, all right, you should go home. It's clear that this we're all going to die. The least you can do is go home and be with your families. Like, there's a level of empathy, strength, and frustration in his delivery where it's like, this is actually somebody who would lead the country and do what he can to, like, make sure stuff doesn't go awry. And make He also might have been the wise guy who thought, hey, how do we stop Nopo? Let's send 200 attack choppers to fucking shoot him. Uh, okay, so maybe he's not the greatest leader. I don't know. Uh, but no, I, I think... Okay. Um, yeah, my favorite scene um, actually involves all four of them, and it's at the very end of the movie when the... Um, after the capture operation was supposedly successful, um, and then the... Um, then the astronaut suit guy comes back to the um, oh my god to the office 
to deliver and the briefcase. And he hands, he hands Nirasaki the briefcase. And then he pushes <laughs> the button that turns off the, the opacity on the helmet. And it's Nobuo, which he then promptly there we go. removes Hi. the suit and hotboxes the entire room with the death gas. And with that, it just KOs the entire fucking cast. <laughs> oh my god. So, anyways, yes, uh, I really liked Bill and Mike in particular. They, they have a, they have really good deliveries and strength in their performances. And no, I think this whole this whole War Council group was really fun, really interesting, and I'm pretty sure you had somebody from every talent pool in there. You got the guy from Canada, you got the guy from Scotland, you got the guy from California, and you've got the guy from New York in a Dallas-based dub. And that's pretty goddamn cool. Mm. And yeah, so rounding us off, uh, we are here to talk about a guy who's just got a really bad cold. Nobuo Tanaka. He is a worker at the pharmaceutical company that has been uh, developing a secret weapon project that he did not know anything about. He's just got a bad cold and doing research. But he clear... So is this dude colorblind? I think this dude might actually be colorblind. It's never explicitly stated, but I'm pretty sure either he's colorblind or he mixed up the directions he was given. Because there are also... I noticed on the desk a red bottle of blue pills. There, it was then, exactly that's what it was. There was a red bottle, bottle of blue pills. Yeah, the bottle he took was a blue bottle with red pills. With red it. pills. Which, man, when you think about it, Omida, you really should not have put those two bottles right next to each other. That could have gone so wrong so fast. And guess what? It did. But... Who's playing our unlucky, unfortunate little schmuck? That would be one Stephen Fu. Stephen Fu, who has played such characters as Kitahachi in Robihachi, Machio Naruzo in How Heavy Are the Del Dumbbells You Live, Anti in SSSS Gridman, and of course, Ryo Saiba from City Hunter Shinjuku Private Eyes. Patrick, would you would you what would what do you think about our good buddy Nobuo here? I just love the fact that Stephen Fu plays him as such a dweeb. Like it is the one thing I really loved about watching Stink Bomb was um like the Japanese government is sending like every force imaginable to him to try and kill him before he before he reaches the you know the military complex to kill everybody even though he doesn't know that that's what's going to happen um but he just he's just an absolute dork at every turn and somehow that dorkiness deflects literally everything that is thrown at him like the, without explaining any context about this, he is like Nagito Komaida to me. He is so unlucky, but simultaneously the most lucky at the same time. 
He has the world's worst luck, but the world's best luck simultaneously. Like he it's is like, the he is the living embodiment of the devil's luck, which is luck that's so bad it turns back around into good luck. Yep. <laughs> Very much so. And I'll, I'll say just because I, I brought it up because I believe last year were you were you on the episode for Shinjuku Private Eyes last summer of the movies? Dude, I, I was with you. It was for Dragon Quest. Right. <laughs> Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, so, yeah, we I, had look. an entire reaction gif that became a, an emoji on one of the, okay. one of the group servers. I'm trying, I just yeah, yeah, I, I just remember we covered that last year, and my main thing was just I wanted a reference where it's like, because Ryo Saiba is to be the exact opposite of what Nobuo is, because Ryo is cool, confident, smug, cool guy, pervert, swagger. And Nobuo is basically, like, he will trip over his shoelaces and, like, break his nose or something and then get pantsed on the way to work. Uh, yeah, no, this Ryo is uh, isn't. He's yeah, an absolute is... dork, but he's a somewhat competent dork. Okay, see, he he carries, that's at least the way I feel like Steven plays him, is that he's played like a pencil-pushing loser, but he is simultaneously the most unstoppable force in the fucking world. <laughs> Nothing in the world was preparing me when I saw him going through the tunnel and there was 200 to 300, like, attack helicopters launching missiles at him from the air. And somehow all of them missed. All of them missed. Like, that shot was, like, the funniest thing in the entire goddamn world. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure they destroyed a few neighborhoods, but... <laughs> oh, he, he has basically, like, killed at least a percentage of the Japanese continent by this point. Uh, it's ridiculous. But, my god, like, Steven plays him up as, like, this very, like, quirky... He is also charming, too. Like, because he doesn't mean any harm. He genuinely is, like, a fine, good dude. He's just really... really dumb at picking up on everything around him. Yeah, I really do appreciate the constant sense of panic Stephen gives him. It's, it's great. He is just sweating up a storm, and that is literally how he is, uh... <laughs> yeah. Killing everyone. Yeah, I appreciate like one of the best things about how dead she is. That like is that when this whole thing goes down initially, while he's in the office, he's like he doesn't even think like, oh my god, all these people are dead. It's like, oh no, everyone's unconscious. Like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> read the room. That's the thing about Nobuo is like if you thought if you think we're awkward and don't understand social cues. This man can't even read the fact that there are bodies dropping because he's that smelly. Like, that's what it is, is that he is smart smart, but he is not people smart. He's not, he is, like, si he is brain smart, but he's not street smart. <laughs> right. But, God, Steven just makes him so charming and, like, genuinely endearing in the weirdest way. Where it's like, man, I shouldn't be rooting for this guy, but I kind of want to root for the guy, despite the fact that he is basically just a fucking ma 
her. Yeah, uh, it is definitely very odd that they casted Steven here because it's definitely not the kind of role I would otherwise associate him with. Exactly, like he, like he's got a lot of like either like cool guy or very like quiet, edgy guys too. Uh, but yeah, like the first because like, I think Anti, it's like Anti is just like this very like dark edge lord before he grows into his own person. And then, like, Ryo Saiba. And Machio, actually. Machio is just this very sweet, happy, swole dude who is just really helpful and cool. Like, all of these characters I listed are the antithesis of what Nobu Otanaga is. He is just a fucking dork. Mm. And I love, I love this little asshole. <laughs> so, actually, just because I, I, I don't really know where else to put it, but this is something I found fucking fascinating. Because they actually mentioned something. Did you know that the entirety of the Stink Bomb short is loosely inspired by a real-life case? That does not surprise me. Specifically, the incident, they called it, like, the incident with some... I'm, I'm going to keep her name anonymous for, for respect, but she is listed in the liner notes. Uh, they called her the toxic lady or the toxic woman, where she basically, basically a lot of, a number of hospital staff became extremely ill after exposure to her body and blood. Like a lot of them had to get minor treatment and a couple of them had to get like, like were like severely uh, impacted because of these thing with her blood. She's being treated with like late stage cervical cancer and she would wind up, like, coming back and, like, effectively, like, dying in the hospital. But it was apparently, like, what happened is that apparently this woman had been self-administering dimethyl sulfoxide as a treatment for her pain, which converted into sulfate an extremely poisonous and highly carcinogenic agent via, like, a series of chemicals in the emergency department. Basically, she had been injecting a bunch of chemicals into herself that, mixed with her blood, effectively became, like, an actually, like, poisonous, toxic chemical. Dang. Yeah. And it's like, some of it is like a mass hysteria, not like 100% proven, but it was like a real thing that happened. And like a lot of people have thoughts about like what actually happened or what didn't. But it's basically like sort of like a crazy medical mystery that was what inspired the core concept of Stink Bomb being like a, a weapon of mass destruction inspired by uh, Nobuo's own body, bodily fluids. And and honestly, that's just Stink Bomb in a nutshell, which this is basically as dark a comedy as it gets. This movie ends on a body count of thousands, but it is simultaneously, it's probably the funniest movie in this set. And that's insane to me, because it's basically just a dark comedy that's contrasting with the insanely dark fucked up scenario mixed with a lot of goofy wacky hijinks and fucking ska music. Also the soundtrack of this is actually a goddamn banger. Mm. 
Like, it's, it's really jazzy and funky and really fun. Yeah. It, it is very clear that this whole thing is contrasting with itself, but by God, not only was this whole short entertaining, the dub of this was solid. Yeah, th- yeah, this was a really fun dub, really... A really fun little flick. It is definitely very interesting. It's definitely a very interesting contrast to the movie that comes before it and after it. Mm-hmm. Where Magnetic Rose is like space horror and Cannon Fodder is like very depressing war commentary. And then this is just weird dark humor, but it works somehow. That it does. Like, it is very much on a par with um, something like a Doctor Strangelove or Brazil, where it's just like the incompetence of the people on top is played to such comedic effect that even though there's a pretty hefty body count underneath, like, you're still laughing your ass off. Very much so. But, yeah, without a doubt, this one was extremely entertaining. And, like, this has things to say about, about, like, Salaryman and the Japanese government while simultaneously being an absurdist, like, quirky film. And I kind of admire the creativity, the balls, and the execution of this, which, god, this, like, I'll say this, the, uh, the upscale of this is goddamn gorgeous. Mm. Yeah. And like you could you could definitely tell like some of like they had some really impressive cuts. Like the entire scene of like the spacemen in the tunnel with him, like that is gorgeous. Like that looks gorgeous in the uprez, my god. And yeah. And with that, that was Stink Bomb, the stinkiest bomb. A stink bomb that wasn't a bomb. A critical eh. bomb. And that was Stick Bomb. All right, gentlemen, I think it's about time we wrap this up. And you guys, hear, you guys hear that? That sounded like a really loud. Yeah, it sounded like a really loud bang. Really, yeah, really, really uh, loud hey, bang. Hey guys, what? What's, what's that, that big what's metal that? tube up there? It looks uh, like it's slowly coming towards us. What metal? T- oh, oh, yeah, I th- oh, I just, oh. that's a missile. Um, oh god, that's a missile. I, oh god! Oh no! Oh no! We are gonna die, aren't we? Oh god! Oh fuck! 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 <laughs> Remember me as I lived. What? You guys hear that? Kind of look, sounds like an explosion or something. I don't know, probably just me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the season finale of uh, Summer at the Movies. Uh, this is for the section of the cannon fodder section of the 1995 film Memories. Uh, this one directed by. Katsuhiro Otomo himself. Um, it is a very, very short, it's the shortest section of the film, and as such, uh, tends to be overlooked 
kind of in for the rest of the movie, but it's charming in its own ways, and it's short, sweet, to the point, and its plot summary is as follows. Cannon fodder takes place in a grim, futuristic military city in which every citizen's purpose in life is training to help fire cannons at an unknown enemy. Fun. And so to cover this, I've brought uh, along my good friend, Lack the Watcher. Hello, everybody. Make sure yes. to fill your gun with your torpedo. Yes. And uh, as a very special guest, uh, uh, we have um, someone who actually worked on the Blu-ray disc of the film. Uh, please uh, welcome Logan. Hey, everybody. All right. So, uh, considering the shortness of this segment of the film, uh, there's really not a whole lot to talk about. So this is going to be pretty quickly, but then we have a few things lined up for afterwards. But um, let's get right into it. Uh, for our starting off for our English staff, we have our ADR director is Emily Fajardo. Our uh, translation is done by Neil Nableman. And our scriptwriter and uh, ADR producer is Justin Savakis. Emily Fajardo, she has done the only lead other lead direction she has done is for Thermo Romai. She's also been assistant ADR director in uh, Stink Bomb, the previous segment, and also Mushoku Tensi Jobless Reincarnation. Neil Nailman needs no real introduction. He's been around the business for a long time working as a translator. Uh, he's worked on the Mobile Suit Gundam movies, even. Uh, most recently, he also worked on the Legend of the Galactic Heroes OVAs and movies. So he's been around. I was going to ask as... about, like, if this is going to be the same staff from the other shorts, but... Well, that's interesting because there are actually two studios worked on this one film. Okay. Uh, NYAV Post did Magnetic Rose, and then uh, Sound Cadence did both Stink Bomb and Cannon Fodder. Um, huh. But they had two different directors uh, between the two of those shorts. Um, so anyways, Justin Savakis, this is actually his first writing credit, I believe. You said that, Logan? Uh, yeah, pretty sure that's the case. Yeah. He's mainly known for the actual production of the discs. And, uh, and the authoring and everything. So that is a, this is a first-time achievement for him. And as such, um, because of the nature of this dub, because it only has six credited characters to the entire short, it lives and breathes on the background characters. So... Uh, Lack, why don't you start us up? What was your general impression of the direction and the writing for this particular segment? The first thing that kind of stuck out to me while I was watching this is that this dub actually has a really timeless feel to it. And I don't really know how I can explain that exactly, but something about it, it feels like it either could have come out today or it could have come out 20 years ago. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. I just mean that it doesn't feel like it feels like it could have come out the same year that Memories actually came out. Like, nothing about it feels overproduced or, like, just trying too hard, I guess. It just feels like it's a true blue dub of this project, and that it doesn't... It just... It feels like it executes itself very well in... Like... 
I'm trying to th figure out the best way to approach this. Mostly what I'm getting at is that I feel like in 20 years or so, this is going to have the same feeling it does watching it right now. And Sort of a timelessness. Yeah, yeah, a, a timelessness and just... I don't know, yeah, it just it feels like it could have been made the year that Memories actually did come out. As much as it feels like it came out, you know, this year. So, I think it helps that it's not a it's not a dialogue heavy dub. Like it's trying, it, like like it would be like trying to dub Angel's Egg, you know? Right. Yeah. It's it's pretty easy, like to. I don't want to say easy, but it's 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 simplistic in its approach, and it's good that they kept it simplistic in its approach. So, it doesn't sort of over overwork its welcome or something yeah and it, you know we're not living in an age now where people feel the need to like overdub something or something like that i mean if this had come out like 30 years ago there probably would have been like so much added dialogue to it um but at the same time it's just it just really feels like it feels like it's going to uh you know stand the test of time right Logan, what are your thoughts on the uh, how it turned out? Yeah, I mean, you know, I definitely agree with, you know, it's it's got kind of, I guess, a rustic quality almost would, would be a good way to put it. Um, you know, when, when you're coming that's, off yeah, of... Yeah, that's a great way to describe it, rustic. Yeah, like yeah. When, when you're when you're coming off of, you know, the first two segments go from a futuristic, you know, sci-fi story to a relatively, you know, modern day, you know, co comedic short. And then you go into this, you know, kind of retro feeling, uh, you know, steampunk thing. Yeah, you like know. a steampunk fairy tale. Almost, yeah, and that. so you know, like like you said, you know, it it doesn't feel it doesn't feel overproduced and feel too modern. It you know it, it has that rustic feel that that really just you know fits so well with with what the the overall theming of the the short itself is supposed to be like. Right. Yeah. It's it's. Canon Father kind of gets overlooked compared to the other two, um, but it's it's just as uh, it's just as deserving as of adoration as the other two. But and I think this dub doesn't overstay its welcome, and it just it feels like it fits. Um, maybe there are a few choices regarding giving characters accents, but I'll get to that when I get to those characters. That uh, maybe they took a little bit of. Uh, as an anthology, Memories feels a little mismatched. I'll say yeah. that. But that's that's neither here nor there, and that has nothing to do with the dub. So, Yeah. yeah. As far as the writing is concerned and the translation, everything turned out really, really good. I yeah. like how how they're, uh, they're making... The old wives are sitting around and making jokes about who's sleeping with who. And, right. Uh, it's... Yeah. I think it's a nice way... It's a nice way to taper things down uh, after the, you know, insanity that was Stink Bomb and the just the all that Magnetic Rose was. It's kind of kind of a mellow way. And it's it's odd saying that it's mellow when we're talking about a short a, a, a short that's based around an entire city that does nothing but fire bombs. Well, it's it's deliberately satirical. So, right. Yeah. So there's always going to yeah. be kind of that tongue-in-cheek element to it. So, yeah. Anyway, I think considering that this was done, I think there was only... 
in court, I watched the documentary uh, behind the scenes for the whole film, and there was only one actress who was not recorded remotely. Everyone else was recorded from home, mm. considering that this was done, and this was really only Emily's second full-time project that she directed entirely herself. I think that stands uh, a lot for the 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 quality of, of her directing mm. because while we don't have many credited characters, we have tons of background characters and they all got to sound unique. They all got to sound different. They all got to put their unique spin on it. And the fact that they were able to pull this off remotely just is, is honestly, it's, it's amazing to me. So, yeah. Yeah. And as far as the writing is concerned, I know that this was a movie that was very near and dear to Justin's heart. And so I I think he did a good job, all things considered, throughout the entire film. Um, yeah, I just, I think that this segment is often forgotten, but I think it's it's sort of like a hidden gem. I feel like it might have stood out better in something like Robot Carnival. Yeah. Even though it's not robots, but you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It certainly would have stood out Carnival. good in like Neo Tokyo. That, that yeah, would... if it was if it was in Robot Carnival, it'd only been five minutes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it would have been backed by you know '80s glam music. <laughs> hey, I, I'm down for that. Oh yeah, I think yeah, I best... think Cannon Fodder is great as is, but if they wanted to tweak it that way, I'd be fine with it. So yeah. All right, so that's all we really have to say as far as the writing and directing is concerned. Uh, we're gonna blast this this pretty quick uh, blast. <laughs> I made a pun. We're going to blast through this pretty quickly because we've only got six credited characters. And of the first three, we have the teacher, the operator, and the commander. Uh, the teacher is played by Michael Sorek. The operator is played by Philip Sacramento. And the commander is played by Ray Hurd. Uh, Michael Sorek, you obviously have heard him in shows like Mob Psycho 100. And um, what else has he done recently? Uh, he's... Uh, uh, he is the... Hmm. He's done some Cyborg 009 stuff. Yeah, he's he's been around for a while. Yeah. Um, funny thing about Philip Sacramento, this is his very first anime credit. But he's been in some indie games, and believe it or not, he's based out of Northern Ireland. Huh. Yeah. But this is his only uh, anime credit so far. Ray Hurd, you've most recently heard him in, in Fire Force's Sharon. And he was also in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, Di Noyatese as Sidney. Sidney Sithole. I see. I keep looking at this character's name, <laughs> and I swear it says shithole. Sidney Sithole. Sidney Sithole, yes. Yeah, and he, also, he's Kizaru in One Piece. So, uh, Lack, what was your... These characters only usually have, like, one or two lines to between all three of them. Yeah, so. didn't the commander just say fire? I think that's literally it. Ray Hurd said one word in this entire movie. It was a good word. He did a great it job saying that one word. Yes. Big, boom, deep voice. Fire! Um, the operator yells at the dad, right? I think it's either him or it's the guy up in the box. I can't tell. This movie doesn't This movie doesn't tell you what its characters are. I'm going to assume he's the dad's boss who yells at him. So that yeah. that's what I'm going to assume. And I'm going to say, if this is wrong, I apologize, but... Um, I, I'm going to say, again, everybody just felt right. 
Um, it, it, it came together nicely because of the fact that there was, like, there was a grittiness, going back to the gritty. You know, this is a not, it's, it's a great, it's a great animated movie, but it's not a, it's not a super pretty anime to look at, you know, it's, it's not meant to be. So, right. So it's meant to be greasy and grimy. Yeah, because and, that's that's the point. Like it's it's great in how ugly it is. I'll say that. I think that's the best way I can put it. Um and I wouldn't say the voices are ugly, but I will say that they're down to earth and I think the best example of that is the operator. I think he's got a great like lower class blue collar boss voice, which I think is exactly the kind of thing you would need. For that kind of character, I mean, yeah, I really, uh, I like Michael Sorich. <laughs> I liked him a lot in Cyborg 009, the Cyborg Soldier. <laughs> That's mostly what I know him for. Um, I don't remember much of the teacher. He has this, like, faux German accent. Uh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. M- Michael Sorich yeah. usually does that kind of stuff. He's in one scene in the entire short, and he just, he's... He, he only has one line, but it's a very, very big line with lots of fast-moving words, all done in German, mm. or, or, or the heavy German accent. So, right. Well, there yeah. was clearly some like World War One influence to this whole thing, right? So, it, it I'm kind of surprised there weren't more German accents, honestly. But um, accents have never really bothered me much in dubs, honestly. Uh, I think uh, I, I think that you got to be careful with them. But I think they do add a little character to a dub sometimes when when they're done right. Right. Uh, and it didn't bother me here because I was just like, yeah, they're like they're like World War One German soldiers. <laughs> so sure, German accent, that's fine by me. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say. Logan, what did you think of these three performances? Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of going going back again to the the same thing. You know, like 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 Lack said, you know, the the kind of down to earth feeling. You know, it's you know, with the, the commander and everything, you know, and, and, and his boss, you know, the operator, you know, both of them, you get that militaristic attitude where, you know, you don't really need a, a whole lot of, you know, emotion or anything to it outside of, you know, these are guys that are barking orders, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where you have to kind of balance, you know, how much it's a dry delivery without it feeling so dry that it feels phoned in, I guess, you know, would be the the, yeah. the way I'd look at that. Um, you know, so for those two, I think, you know, it really worked out even, you know, even with just one, one word, you know, being fire, um, you know, it's, you've got to really give that commanding performance, even if it's just the one word. Uh, just imagine Ray heard in the, in the booth going, uh, fire, fire, <laughs> fire, fire, fire. Cause right. They have to do those multiple times. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then like you said with the teacher, you know, he's he doesn't have a whole lot of a, a you know, of a scene in particular, but it's it's so rapid fire and, you know, throwing in that accent, you know, it it adds it adds just enough flavor to, you know, to the the scenery, I guess is is a good way to put it. Um, yeah. you know, and and it just kind of it just kind of elevates it a little bit more to uh, you know, to to fit what we're watching. Right, right. You know, he's he's only in one scene, but he's going to chew that scenery as big as he can. So, 
Yeah. No, I uh, I have I have to echo what you guys say. Uh, these three really did not have much to say. But then again, this short is only 22 minutes long, and most characters, even the lead ones, have like one line at most. Um, and so, I mean, if you're only going to have one line, you might as well go big for it. So, and I think that's what Michael Sort Sort did um, with the little faux German accent. I think they didn't have to do it, but he said, you know what, let's just stick this on there and, you know, give it some, some color. I, I'm going to go out on a limb it. and say they did it both ways. Mm -hmm. And they ultimately decided that they liked the German accent better. Right. That's, I right. think that's usually how this sort of thing goes. Yeah. No, one thing I did mention is that I watched the behind the scenes and, um, and Emily herself said that for a large section of the short, uh, it's basically just people shouting out what they're doing because <laughs> yeah, it's like low, like the, most like, anime. <laughs> yeah. Like load the nozzle nozzle loaded. Yo, know, what was it? Another one? Like, uh, was it, uh, loading, um, gunpowder charge, loading gunpowder charge loaded. And that's like, that's, that's basically the dialogue for the film. I'm sure they were um, kind of glad that there weren't that many lip flaps. At least. Oh no, yeah, it's lots of gas masks that helps yeah. out immensely. Yeah, but anyways, um, so that's that's three of our six credited uh, characters. Um, let's go on to our would arguably our main characters. We have the boy, 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 as Kratos would say. Uh, the boy, his father, and his mother. Um, they don't have any names. Another characters are named, and they just seem to be a typical. Uh, dysfun not dysfunctional, but just typical family living in this definitely dysfunctional town. So, yeah. This high-functioning dysfunctional town. Yeah, both the father and the mother both work for the uh, the cannon company, and the boy goes to school to learn about cannons. So, that's basically this the world we live in. See, I got the impression, before we get into the, into the actual actors, I got the impression they're not actually fighting anyone. Like they're just shooting bombs out into the wilderness. Yeah, my my thought was we never see the enemy. I don't think they're actually fighting anyone. Either that or they've already blown them up and they just don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, they don't they, even show you... the enemy in, like, the TV. Yeah. You know, it's... I have thoughts about the ending, and I'll get to in final thoughts, but... Uh, that they all I, I die? Think... <laughs> <laughs> I do think so. I think, yeah. I think they got nuked. I, I I thought that was the implication too, is that they end up dead. So yeah, no, now all three segments uh, are kind of sucks to be you uh, segments in in this movie, yeah. this trilogy. Yeah, why is it called like, memories? <laughs> yeah, it's everyone fucking dies. <laughs> I guess so. Anyways, uh, but I'm getting off track. Um, okay, so playing the uh, our family members. The boy is played by Jack Britton. Uh, the father is played by Mike Pollock. And the mother is played by Ellie Ray. Jack Britton, this is, he is a child actor out of Houston. This is his only other, um, he has only has one other credit. And that is human in Suppose a Kid from the Last Dungeon Booties moved to a starter town. His uh, first Mike Pollock, anime was an isekai? Actually, that was his second anime. This was his first. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, Ellie Ray is also a um, a uh, a new actress out of Houston, and her 
roll is as Icho in Suppose a Kid from the Last Dungeon Booties moved to a starter town. Did the staff so work they, on that anime or something? Uh, I think Emily did. All right. I'm not sure. Because that kind of makes sense. Yeah. And uh, Mike Pollock, we don't, needs no introduction. Yeah. You know who Mike Pollock is. And a hedgehog! <laughs> <laughs> that didn't sound anything like him. <laughs> that sounded more like Sonic cartoon Eggman, if anything, but... Oh, man. I, what is a good Eggman line? Yeah. Uh, like, ooh, that must be the pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the angriest man who's ever lived. Ooh, that must be the pizza. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, okay, so unfortunately, Mike Pollock has like I one line in this. I my wife's tales. Sorry. Anyway. Yes. Mike Pollock only has one line in this. He, he and uh, But he was great in Stink Bomb, at least. So... So if you want to you want to hear us talk about Mike Pollock, go watch the previous uh, segment with Andrew. He but, only uh, had one line. He did some grunting at the very beginning. Okay, and then at the very end, uh, he says, um, "You'll you'll you'll understand when you're older. older." Right. No wonder I couldn't recognize that that was Mike Pollock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Luck, what did you uh, what did you have to say about these three? Um. Ellie, Ellie Ray was great as the mother. I loved the kind of Mrs. Costanza kind of thing she was going for. Honestly, I thought that was really fun. Uh, I had no idea that was Mike Pollock at all. Um, when when I saw his name in this cast list, I was like, oh my god, really? But I guess that makes sense. Jack Britton was great. I thought he was great as the boy, honestly. I, I thought... I think, it, I think it... You know, we've got kind of an Aaron Dismute kind of situation where he didn't have to fall too many lip flaps... So I think they thought... Now, okay, I have a question. Do we know in the original Japanese dub if the boy was played by a child? I do not know. Um, okay. I would say yes, because uh, if I remember correctly, the Japanese actor was uh, born in around 1983 or some, somewhere thereabouts. So, you yeah, know, he for 95, 12. yeah, 12, you know, right okay. around there. So, so yeah. that was that probably influenced their decision to have the boy actually played by a child. Oh, here's a fun fact. The Japanese actor is uh, Peter Pan in Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> nice. But yeah, everybody was really, really good here, especially Jack Britton. I think he brought a nice amount of innocence to the character. Like, um, you could tell, you know, it, it was it was a child, like, trying to figure out how to dub, you know, for the first time, obviously. I mean, this is a pretty big project for the first time, but it's also not that big of a project, if that makes any sense. Like it's it's prestigious, it it's but it's not three pieces. It's prestigious, yeah. but it's not like it, it's not humongous. It's it's yeah. low, low stakes. Key. Yeah, yeah. Uh, low stakes, high reward, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I I really liked him. I thought Mike Pollock was great as the dad for his couple for his like his line, and I really liked Ellie Ray as the mother. I thought it was really fun. So, yeah, Logan. Logan, what do you think? Yeah, um, you know, uh, you, the way you described, uh, you know, the mother as, as the sort of Mrs. Costanza type is perfect. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of like if, if it were a 50s nuclear family, but, you know, in in the middle of, of like you said, World War One, you know, and yeah, so a you steampunk know, World War One. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's something that just kind of worked about that, that sort of nasally voice, I guess, is the, the way to put that. Um, you know, so I, I definitely liked that with her. Um, 
like you said, Mike Pollock, I mean, it, it's almost hard to tell it's him, um, especially when you're coming off of Stink Bomb and, you know, the, the big role, the bombastic role he played there. It's such a switch to have him, you know, playing really such a meek character like that. Uh, you know, so I think that almost kind of disguises the fact that it's him. Um, and then, you know, with, with Jack Britton, you know, th- this is a project that two different segments had two different child actors. And, you know, historically, child actors in, in anything are are sometimes difficult to wrangle and, you know, and get a good performance out of. And the fact that, you know, it, it all came together so well just really, I think, is a testament to everyone who was involved with selecting the, the various cast members and, you know, really just, you know, drilling it down and, and making it come together. Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, as far as the individual performances go, uh, I think the fact that the, the only reason I would say that Jack's performance was lacking in a bit is because he's a child actor. But I mean, it's not his fault. It's just that's just in general due to lack of experience. And uh, hopefully he gets to expand and as he grows up and um, and uh, hopefully he'll get more roles in the future. But for now, he's um, he's he's good uh, for for as far as child actors are concerned. Um Mike Pollock needs no introduction. He can read a phone book or, or anything, and, you know, people will listen. Um, but Ellie Ray really chewed the scenery in every scene she was in um, with her, you know, faux New York accent. And you get out of bed you, or like get out of bed and go to school. You're going to be late. I've at your lunches. And uh, she really gives the mom some sass, both in the opening scene and also when she's gossiping with all the ladies about, yeah, you never know how loose she is. <laughs> like, it's, I doubt it's even his kid. So, um, yeah, out of those three, she was probably the funnest to listen to. But uh, I think it goes to stand that because even these three main characters don't really get to do much. The whole short really lives and dies on the strength of the background performances, because we've got it, it actually has a lot of cast members that they're just not credited. So we have to have all these different characters and different background uh, characters and different background voices all done in this one 22 minute segment. And it's actually kind of impressive to do so much with basically so little um so i think i think going into final thoughts about cannon fodder uh like i said before it is the weakest of the three but it's not it's not saying it's still pretty darn good yeah uh maybe if they had put it in the middle and and finished with magnetic rose instead of going off of it Maybe that would have uh, taken the sting out a little bit, but uh, it does, at the end of the movie, kind of settle things down at a mellow point uh, before the credits roll. And uh, and you hear the air raid and everyone gets nuked. So, <laughs> so uh, thoughts on the... So final thoughts on the Memories dub as a whole. What do you think, Black? Um. Oh, the, the Memories dub as a whole... 
yeah, the whole entire experience. Uh, it was it was good. It was fun. Yeah, obviously Magnetic Rose kind of stands out because first of all, it was the most dub heavy of any of them. Uh, Stig Bomb was was great. Uh, the high energy really balanced well with what was actually going on. I don't know if I really have that much else to say about the the memories dub itself. I just. It, I think they all have a kind of a timelessness to them, and I think that uh, I think that Cannon Fodder really illustrates that very well. And I think this is just a really, uh, really like uh, worthy dub of of the of something so iconic for anime like Memories. So, Logan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, it was. You know, for all the production angles, you know, for the stuff I worked on and the stuff that that our team at Discotech worked on, and you know, all, all the people in the the you know at NYAV and at, at Sound Cadence, the the whole thing, top to bottom, was a labor of love for for all of us. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's not every day you get to work on on something with such a, a prestigious background to it, and you know, to be able to restore it and give it a, a dub after all this time. I mean, you know, it's, it's so, so typical that, you know, the older this stuff gets, the, the far less likely you're ever going to see a dub for it. And, you know, to go back to something from 1995 and be able to give it a dub and something that, you know, I, I think just came together in, in all of its parts, you know, for something that was put together between two different studios with, you know, remote recording for all of the cast, except for one person, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that shouldn't have come together the way that it did. And yet somehow everything fell into place and just, you know, it's, it's impressive to me that it, it turned out the way it did. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud to have been able to work on it. Yeah, no, I, I filled around with the Blu-ray and it's, it's a really, you guys did a really great job Yeah, um, with the menus and everything. And, uh, and the behind-the-scenes footage, and I, I just, I need to go back into like the um, the storyboard parts. In fact, the cannon fodder is the one segment that has the entire storyboard um, as an animatic, right? Yeah, that one you can watch the entire uh, segment with uh, with the animatics uh, animated together. Um, one of our production people, uh, Elaine, put that together. That's very cool. Yeah, you guys did a great job, and. Um, and yeah, before we end this episode, this because is me we... finding out that you work for Discord. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. Every time, every time I see like a discotheque or Animago, and I see Logan in the credits, I it's like I I pull up that clip from Yo Yokio. It's like I can see you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no. Um, since we have you here, Logan, uh, one thing that we don't really talk about on Dub Talk is sort of the technical aspects of of the Blu-ray authoring period. And as, uh, as the subtitle editor for this movie, uh, what were your, what were some of, how did things work basically? Cause I know, I know you got your, your subtitles obviously for the Japanese, but you've also got the subtitles for the on-screen text, which until I rewatched this, I didn't know that cannon fodder technically has a, um, a second title. Isn't it City of Guns or something like that? Yeah, each of the each of the segments has a secondary title, and yeah, I believe it is uh, City. It's either City of Guns or City of Cannons. I, I can't remember off the top of my head which one it is, but right, right. So, so take us a bit into the technical aspects of laying down the subtitles and and um, and making sure that everything works right and everything 
runs properly if you if you want. Yeah, to. yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for something like this, you know, the advantage I have is we're we're working off of a an existing translation. So, usually the first thing I have to do is we'll we'll take an old script, you know, um, a lot of times we just will rip them from the old DVDs or, you know, if they're provided to us, um, we, we use a subtitling program called Aegis Sub. It's a it's a freeware program. Um, the fan subbing world tends to use it quite a bit, but it turns out it actually works really well for commercial production, too, when you have someone like Justin who knows how to you know, harness uh, what it can do and, and convert it over to uh, to work with a Blu-ray. Um, so what I do is I get uh, usually a low resolution. Um, it's it's technically it's not really low resolution. It's the full full screen res. So something like this would be you know nineteen nineteen hundred by ten eighty, um, and I, I take that and it's it's just kind of it's a it's overly compressed because I don't need it to look good. I just need to to be able to see the frames and, and time things, and effectively I just sync up the the subtitles and make sure that they're you know they're coming in at the right time and you know they don't hang on screen too long or they don't disappear too quick things like that um there's some technical stuff you have to watch out for with overlaps and things like that um basically the subtitles have to be on screen for a minimum of six frames uh or otherwise they don't really work because of the way the blu-ray uh specification works for refreshing uh, a subtitle image um usually that's not too big of a deal sometimes that gets a little iffy with timing uh like signed subtitles especially when you're dealing with a dub um you know sometimes it gets a little iffy but you can work around that um but yeah basically you just kind of go through and um what's nice is i have full control over being able to position things so if there's a a sign caption or whatever i can put it right where the the sign is and i can mess around with the styling and, and all kinds of stuff um and then for like for a dub track um Usually what I'll just do is I'll do everything on the signs track or the uh, the full subtitles track first, and then I just use kind of a shortcut and I sort everything by the type of, of uh, style that we use. So whether it's a dialogue sub or a caption or a song, and then I just delete all the dialogue subs and then resave the file as a uh, as a signs and songs track. So usually exporting the signs and songs for a dub takes all of about 20 seconds. Oh, wow. That's that's not time at all. Hmm. So, so do you have a personal um, preference of, of subtitles that you like to do you like to do more like the big flashy fan subtitle like the karaoke the subs or, or do you like to keep things basically you know do you like straight? to do the John Wick super animated subtitles? <laughs> <laughs> well so you know I, I like to do the animation and stuff like that although unfortunately because of that six frame limitation stuff right. like doing fades and and moving subtitles and things like that really aren't possible within the blu-ray spec you would have to burn that into the video which you know of course there there are people out there that will say oh that's fine you know we'd rather it look nice there are people that you know no i don't want anything touching the video like leave the video completely alone um you know most of us are a lot don't of, mess with a, the video. A lot of AMV makers get really upset when locks subtitles are locked. Yeah. Right, and you know, so uh, you know, I like doing stuff with with you know, kind of trying to jazz it up when I can. Realistically, the biggest problem with doing that is just the sheer amount of extra time it takes. Um, you know, when I'm dealing with a movie or an OVA, it's usually not too bad to give it a little extra flair. Um, 
you know, when you're dealing with a, a you know, 50 episode, you know, robot series from the 80s, sometimes it's just like you have to look at it and go, this isn't worth spending that extra time on. And, you know, you'd like to, but it's just the reality is there's just not enough time in, in our production schedule to right. to throw that level of, uh, of you know, styling at it. Um, right. You, you, can't, you can't give it the same amount of, like, love and attention that you do with something like Memories. Right, um, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, if, if anybody who watched our, our last live stream back in June, uh, you know, we, we showed off some of the stuff I did with, uh, with the upcoming Loop on the Third Part 5 sets. And I'm, well, I'm, I'm super stoked for, by the way. Yeah, uh, but... Those were a lot of work, and it, you know, for a 24-episode show, to to style that stuff up, you know, it, it's definitely worth it in the long run. But I think, you know, it's just unfortunately not realistic to do that on a regular basis. So, because um, didn't like, I was about to ask like you if th- I had heard you out some of the Disco uh, Tech Day streams. Yeah, I I, uh, I was one of the co-hosts on this this latest one because uh, okay. Justin and Brady were busy with uh, with some production stuff and keeping things rolling. So uh, myself gotcha. and Mark, our QC guy, were invited to join Mike, and that was a lot of fun. No, you always have a good time at a at a discotheque day. So we, we try to make it exciting yeah. for everyone. It's fun. It's fun. It's like- I still uh, wait mention- for the day one day you guys find the Phantom Blood movie and release it. So. <laughs> Or that monster monster uh, release, you know. Good luck. These people are always asking for that one. I know that much. Well, oh yeah, anything Urasawa related. Yeah. The the day right, the well, day that you guys find like the the film reels for the Phantom Blood, the Lost Phantom Blood movie, is the day I'll be very happy from you guys. I'll <laughs> tell you the the amount of stuff that has been found since the Echo discovery. Uh, you know, I, I obviously can't say what's coming down the pipe but right. it's it's not just aco that's been uh, been rediscovered i can i can oh. i can say that there's there's a lot of interesting stuff that's in yeah. the works and uh, you know we'll see what happens with some of it i mean a lot of it was we found it and whether whether we can do anything with it is another story but right. it's you know it's definitely i think even for stuff that discotech doesn't have um, you know, I mean, since a lot of this came about thanks to, to Robert Woodhead at Animago and, you know, looking for Maddox, I think there's a lot of uh, potential for plenty of companies, even not just us, um, you know, for yeah. for things that could be coming down the pipe now that these uh, these film reels have been popping up. My, my favorite announcement plenty of companies, my favorite announcement for the last live stream was the fact that you guys got Matt McMuscles to do a, a commentary <laughs> on, uh, on uh, Fatal Fury. <laughs> yeah, we, we were just talking about that. Uh, 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 Mark, our QC guy, was saying that uh, if, if we ever have occasion to redo the uh, uh, the film, uh, he, he'd love to see Matt do a uh, another commentary with Brady because he really enjoyed the uh, the commentary on the OVAs and. I haven't heard yeah. it yet myself, but uh, I, I figure, you know, if Mark liked it, then I, I expect I'm probably going to enjoy it myself. I, I'm super excited to listen to it. But. Yeah. No, you guys have been doing some great. I'm just I'm still I'm looking at my copy of A Thousand and One Nights. I still can't believe you got that dub. I that was lost to history. I mean, yeah. And my understanding was that was found because somebody had an old film copy of it that they'd had just had transferred to a DVD for some kind of, you know, like digital safekeeping. And, uh, you know, the, the pieces came together to get us in touch with them and they provided us with, with a copy of what they had. And, you know, it, 
we did that AB comparison of the, the before and after, and that's exactly what it looked like. It was not in good shape, but we, yeah, it was we pulled rough. it off. Um, you know, I, it's. <laughs> I still need to buy the, the Space Adventure Cobra TV show Blu-ray so I can listen to that experimental dub you guys did. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. It's uh, it, it's a shame it didn't come together and and be able to go all the way through. But uh, you know, for for the circumstances that that it came to be, uh, you know, effectively a, a very uh, excited fan who you know wanted to take a stab at it. And Mister Discotech, as we like to call him, said, "Yeah, sure, you know, go go for it. Let's see what you can do." It's actually pretty solid quality. Um, you know, I, I was I was actually kind of surprised by by how well it turned out for something that effectively came out as a fan dub. Um, you know, it, it's a shame it wasn't able to, to keep going, but you know, for what it was, it was uh, it was not bad. Yeah, Co- Cobra's I, I a dream role for me as an actor. So, <laughs> yeah. no, uh, no, I my whole fan casting for Space Abridger Cobra would be having Lack as Cobra, and then I would be Crystal Boy, <laughs> <laughs> and I would play it sort of like. Sort of like uh, David Bowie meets Tim Curry. Cobra! <laughs> I, I convinced um because it was that, like, six voices, you know, six different voices thing. I actually managed mm-hmm. to convince one of my VA friends to uh, voice Lady Armoroid, and she did a mm-hmm. fantastic job. Like, it was great. Yeah. So. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, that thank you, Logan, for uh, for all that. Um, this has been our backdoor pilot for Subtalk. So. <laughs> yeah. One of these days. We already had sub-talk, and we talked about sandwiches the whole time. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. So, any final thoughts? Um, uh, this is uh, this actually ends our Summer at the Movies. So, thank you for joining us the past two months. We hope that you've enjoyed some good re- reviews about some great movies. Um, as always, we are Dub Talk. You can find us. You're probably watching us on YouTube. You can find us on Twitter, on Twitch, where uh, Megan and Stephanie are currently uh, streaming Okami, Fire Emblem, and I think The Wolf Among Us. So check out their Switch channel. Um, you can also find us on uh, our, our MP3 formats on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Spotify, and Podbean, I believe. If you'd like to contribute to us directly, we have both a coffee account as well as a Patreon account. And it is time to read off our Dub Talk patrons. For our $5 tier, we have Megan's Mom and Dad, Michelle Travis, Miraculous Corazon, Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands, <coughs> Jackson, uh, Sue Tweet, and Victor Mayberoda. For our $10 tier, we have Carly Leistakow, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, Jared Hawkins, Julia W., Marissa Linty, Millicent Sorby, and Otaku Anthony. And so, uh, with that, uh, Lack, where we can fi- where can we find you these days? Best uh, places to find me is at Twitter and TikTok at Lack the Watcher. I am also streaming every Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, s- Saturday, and sometimes Sunday if I'm not doing D and D with my friends. Um, you can find me at that at Lack underscore the underscore Watcher one hundred. Uh, I might change the name later on to make it a little simpler. Uh, but yeah, currently I'm making my way through Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, Blade of Fury, and Two Point Hospital. So those are a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, if you want to keep up with my voice acting stuff, I've got a big fun project that I'm doing with a friend coming up. Uh, spoilers, it's Joseph Joestar meets Lady Dimitrescu. That's going to be a lot oh, of fun. Oh, nice. Uh, it, might, it might already be out. Maybe not by the time this comes out. We'll see. 
But uh, yeah, again, you can check me out at Like the Watcher on Twitter and TikTok, and just follow me there, and you should be able to see all my stuff. So, Logan, where can we find you? Um, I'm at Schmullis One on Twitter, um, and beyond that, you'll probably find me working on uh, hopefully your favorite discotheque titles. <laughs> well, you're already working on Lupin, so that's pretty covered. <laughs> so. All right, and I'm Spaceman Hardy. You can find me over at the Funimation Discord. The forums are dead. Also find me at Spaceman Hardy on Twitter. I uh, I complain a lot. I occasionally post goat pictures. I retweet a lot of Final Fantasy fan art. And I'm just a 38-year-old curmudgeon living in my parents' base uh, attic. So, uh, fun. <laughs> anyways, uh, thank you so much for joining us the past two months. We, thank you, we hope you've had a wonderful summer at the movies. And until next year, Otaku on, my friends. Good night. <laughs>